Max RPG Podcast. I'm in Max, 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 Max! Pursuing the RPG hobby with reckless abandon. Thank you for joining us. This is Season 20, Episode 5 of Happy Jack's RPG oh. Podcast. Bye-bye. My name is Stu. Hello, my name is Patrick. And my name is Michael. I'm not Patrick or Michael. I'm just Stork. Just Stork. Here every night, here every week, here I am. Same guy, same bad time, same Stu channel. Yes. Uh, who, we got new people here. Yeah. Who, hey. are, what, who are you and, and what do you do that makes you famous? Um, I'm Patrick Thomas. I'm the head storyteller of the Pillars of Salt LARP. We've uh, been on one of the convention shows to talk a little bit about that, and uh, hopefully we'll talk a little bit about that tonight. And yeah. uh, I am also one of the storytellers for the Pillars of Salt Vampire the Masquerade LARP, uh, playing in the 20th uh, anniversary style, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to be here. I've been <coughs> on this once before, and I have uh, had one of my emails written by, uh, read by you guys awesome. So uh, over the last few years now. I remember it well. It was, it was like... Uh, you were writing about LARPs, right? It had some questions yeah, and yes, comments. Yes, about total, it. totally. Yeah. You remember, oh, it was glad, great. glad to know that you got yeah. that crystal clear memory going. Really remember it, yeah. <sighs> I would hate it if you storked that one up. <laughs> In this episode, we'll be talking with Patrick and Michael about LARPs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've been their ear a little bit about uh, how, they, how to run LARPs. Because I'm sort it. of LARP curious. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Sokal writes it about bookkeeping being fun. Uh, Drail88 <laughs> sends some questions and recounts his game, and Wes sends us an update and treats us to a horror story. But first, Lahara. February of some, had it. some time in February, there's a thing going on. Uh, yeah, Orcon 2018. So it's always yeah. around Valentine's Day. Remember, this is when our wives, our wives. I already, already booked. Yeah. I already booked my hotel. Yeah. I tried to <laughs> register my games. Uh, it is February 16th, 17th, 18th, and 19th, President's Day weekend, Hilton LAX Hotel. Go to strategicon.net for information about that. And I already got my room. The kids demand to go again. Uh, this time, I'm going to run a bunch of games for them. Do like kids RPGs. Yeah, nice. So. That's nice. Um, At least it's not actually on Valentine's Day this year. No, Valentine's Day is on a when the Wednesday before it looks yeah. like. Yes. Now that I have my calendar up, I can seal these things. There you go. Yeah, it's always awkward when you come home with a bunch of game books and oh, sweetie, I bought you uh, uh, tunnels and trolls. Uh, happy <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. I bought you some dice. Why, why is all my stuff on the lawn again? <laughs> <laughs> and I also have a father daughter dance on February second. There you go. So the yeah. girls, some, it was against a Girl Scout thing. Semi-formal. Hmm. Hi. So, really? LARPs. Yeah. What? Girl Scouts? I haven't heard about this. Hmm. Oh, you will. Nice. Well, who doesn't like cookies? Hmm. Right. <laughs> he, he has his own line now. No, no. His daughter and my daughter are in are the, in the same, same, same troop. troop so, ah. And I haven't heard about this until just now. Hmm. You'll be voluntold about it. Yes, sure. I think I will. <laughs> so I actually used to work for a radio station in Houston, and they hired me to DJ a father-daughter dance for the Girl Scouts. Oh, really? Back in, I guess this would be 2004, 2005. Uh, it, it was a lot of fun, but like the fathers did not want to go out onto the dance floor until I started like playing Beach Boys and some things that the fathers knew. Right. And it's like, all right, Dad, you gotta get out there. And then finally, the dads started participating a little more. I figure I'm going to take my daughter to some swing dance classes. There you go. Yeah. So take her to like the like an easy 
just like a mm-hmm. beginner class, so we can at least have it know a few steps, and then right. whenever they're playing something in four or four that has a moderate tempo to it, and mm-hmm. just swing dance to it. So there you go. That's what, that's my plan. You, want, you, you and Danielle can come with us. I don't know anything about it. I'm going to feign ignorance. Okay, we'll do right. the hustle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you play any any inappropriate music at the father daughter dance? Uh, no, no. I I, I, I kept it. I, I was actually the the station I worked at is. Um, Let's how we say it's it's, mu- it's mouse adjacent. Okay. Uh, mm. So very very kid friendly. Got it. Okay. All right. Oh. So no like like Sir Fr- Sir Mixalot. No, no, no. <laughs> I've karaoke that one a few times, but I've I never would not play it at the father daughter. Well, you have better judgment than I would. <laughs> if you'd like to email the show, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail dot com. It's happyjacksrpg at gmail dot com. Social medias, Twitters, and Instagrams. Happy Jacks RPG, all on word. And uh, you, you can always watch us live on Fridays, 8 p.m. Pacific. Social Meteors, can you comment on the social Meteors? <sighs> no, can I you com- try. I don't want to make an asteroid of myself. You know, that lacks a little impact for Ooh, me. Ooh, nice, nice. I'm a creator of habit. <laughs> I'm killing myself. Can we get him to come to the tail end of this? And mm. go on? Yeah. Parasids? I don't know. I got nothing. Streaking through the night. Right. Uh, shooting. So anyway, LARPing. So t- tell uh, tell our listeners, because you, you guys are not part of the Mind's Eye Correct. Right. Over Dominion, or whatever it's called. Right? <laughs> yes. Okay. So you're doing a, a, an independent... Exactly. Independent. Is it is it Camarilla, Sabat? Wait, 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 wait a minute. There's a whole like series of LARPs that are like like not connected. Can we can we back up even one more step? Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Please explain explain to me the structure of this LARPing thing for Vampire. Okay. okay. So there are multiple groups that have uh, international games where every game is interconnected, and when they're in those kind of situations, there's a lot of I can't do this or you can't do this because it'd be unfair for someone really far away. And How many of these are there? It's that it's that closely controlled. Yes, for a lot of them. Really? Wow. Yeah. Um, and so it kind of limits what the stories people can tell because okay. you can't have the major aspect of your story, let's say in Los Angeles, and then that would be less likely to be a major part of the story, let's say in Chicago. Okay. Right, can, can I back out even even yeah. further? Mm-hmm. How many of these chapters are there? Oh, there's probably thousands if you count the three major over groups. the whole globe. Yeah. So like you could conceivably be. Ostensibly playing in the same world as somebody from Denmark. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. So now we're going to focus in. And, and the thing I thought was kind of cool about it is you can also like, oh, I'm going to be in I don't know New Orleans mm-hmm. for oh, in the next month. Your same character can go there right. and present yourself to the prince and all right. that. Right. right. So that'd be kind of cool. That, that is kind of cool. cool. It's kind of cool, but it's it's a little limiting in that. Um, in the, the vampire setup where you have the Justicars and the inner counselors and anytime you as a storyteller want to bring one of those people in, there's a whole approval process. The, the, oh, there wow. are problems with being right. able to do that. On, on an independent game like ours, we say, hey, uh, these people have paid a bunch of boons, they, they've talked to the right people, we want to bring in the Bruja Justicar Theo Bell at this next game. Mm-hmm. We can have that happen and we can get one of our people to play Theo Bell in that action, we don't have to worry about the the paperwork to get that approved. Yeah, and I was gonna I was gonna say it was sort of my next question was like, let's say I'm visiting Florida to go to Disneyland with the family mm-hmm. for a week, and I'm like, oh well, I could pick up a vampire thing here, but they gotta let them know, right. and they gotta they gotta wrangle the forces. You can't just show up in the guy's door, storyteller's door, knock on there and say, hey man, I'm here presenting myself. Like, so, dude, I'm going to bed. What they, the hell? They limited enough that you can't. 
you can? The idea is, like, at a tabletop game, everyone essentially can be a hero because these are the people that are involved in the game. Right. If you're got to an international concept, they have to keep limiting people's importance so everyone can go where they want to go. Okay. And since you're kind of, because if there's only, like, let's say seven of one group and you have the entire world to do that, the likelihood of you being one of those seven, it's not going to be very high. No, I, I yes. I get that, but if I'm going to be visiting Florida and I want to be in the vampire game while the family goes yeah. to, I still got to let people know ahead of time. You normally would like send Ideal. an email to that person and you would say, right. "Hey, I'm yeah. going to be uh, coming here from this time to this time. Is there anything I can do to help out? Whatever." Because if I go to if I go to LARP in Texas and just knock on somebody's door, I might get shot. I don't know. Well, why I think yeah, if you show up at three a.m. there, <laughs> <laughs> it's a vampire LARP. Of course, I'm showing up at three a.m. Yes. So yes, that, right. is, that okay, is absolutely so. true. Um, but because of that limiting, you can't really necessarily tell the stories you want to tell. People are unable to kind of express what they want to do, and they're you kind keep of keep your power level kind of limited. I would assume, right? Okay, and it'll it kind of stops what everyone's choices are, right? And if you still keep it where you keep it very close to continuity, but we are luckily in Los Angeles, one of the largest cities in the United States, and one of these major kind of metropolitan areas, we are still able to with canon be able to do a lot more than what even a national or international game can do in L.A. because they have to equalize where there wouldn't be vampires. Right. Like, there could be a game, uh, a 500-player game in St. Louis. There's no way there could be 500 vampires in the population of St. Louis. Right. right. So they still have to equalize it for that concept. Well, we can just say, we know the population of Los Angeles. We can kind of deal with Los Angeles being that level. Right. And so... That's why we have kind of an independent game. But even in our independent game, there are multiple games for our, our setup. There's a Sabat game that we do at conventions. We do the main kind of Camarilla game where everyone plays. And then we also have other parts of the story that people can go and do. So Especially if, games. Yeah. So, like, if, let's say, there's a group of hunters who are tracking down the vampires, we would actually run a tabletop of those people playing the hunters, and their actions would affect the main game. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you actually meld LARPing with tabletop yeah. when you're doing some of the stuff. That's well, fantastic. I get that if they're playing the 20th anniversary and you guys are playing different games. Because my, my <laughs> other thought was if, if you're playing this LARP, especially if it's global, <laughs> you're kind of playing it all the time. Right. Like you could be at a restaurant and somebody comes in and stabs you, says a blood hunt over, and you're no. like, what the hell? No, so if you're not at a game, you only can really be involved in chats. Okay. All right, so you actually have to show up at a... Yeah. At a game, all right. So you can only get stabbed at games. At games. Yes. yes. <laughs> Unless they're in a church. Right, right. So, but like some people, let's say the characters wanted to go to the Caribbean and do something. We actually would, let's say, run a game at the con where all those characters are going to the Caribbean to go do that event. Right. Okay. Or, or if it's a clan wants to go off and do something or a, you know, cadre of, a coterie of, you know, five players wants to go to Chicago and do a thing, we can do a park day with just our people, we can uh, do a, a tabletop at someone's house, all of that interaction, we can either do the tabletop version or we could do almost the, the mini LERP game session. We did a, a Bruja rant a while back where it's everyone that was in Clan Bruja from both the Camarilla and the Sabat game could come and bring those characters. Uh, we also then made a bunch of NPCs and just other world people that other players that wanted to come that day still had characters that were not their normal character, mm-hmm. just to flesh out uh, the, the rant a little bit. And we did that at a park. Okay. And the freedom to kind of mix the tabletop and the LARP and the chat and everything, we only could do because we're independent. Right. 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 I, I, okay, I get that. It's, yeah. it's kind of the difference, I think, mm-hmm. just, I'm just trying to grok it, between the say, Pathfinder Society mm-hmm. 
and running your own independent game. Right. Yeah. They, they follow the same rules. They use the same rule set. It's just that one one has to be one has more latitude. Right. All one has a lot more latitude. Yeah. Right. So so when you um, now, how long has it been running now? Uh, over two years. <laughs> over two years. Yep. Um, now I would imagine Vampire. You, I'm. This is an assumption. You probably, if the, if you have a large enough group, storyteller-wise, there's not. It's probably more refereeing and less coming up with story. We actually have probably sixty percent story and forty percent player driven. No kidding. Hmm. Really. So how do how do you go about with a large group? Because I mean, I, I mean, I, I've been running tabletop for decades. And I, I know what my table limit is, so that I can run a, a, a decent game and that everyone gets a chance to get involved in. And that's like four or five. When I get to like six or eight, things start to get a little out of control. I once ran a D and D fourth edition game that had what eleven, eleven, of them. and that was the worst mistake I ever made. I had a cyberpunk GURPS game in the late eighties that actually had like seventeen people in it, one session, and it just exploded. Cause yeah. Factions developed and they killed each other. And, and so when you're trying to do that, uh, maintain a, a plot like that for 50 people, it's a lot more difficult. Right. The basic concept is you create a PvP element and you also have a PvE element. Mm-hmm. And so as long player as player versus environment, yes. yes. Okay. So as long as you're having a player versus environment aspect that the players realize they have to dedicate some resources to, they then have to create some kind of unity to stop these conflicts. Okay. And then they also still have to fight for their own internal conflicts as well. So what, like, what would be an example of a, a player versus uh, environment? So the city that they've actually started out in the original part of the game, they weren't in charge of. It was actually run by an oppositional force. Mm-hmm. And so they had to claim a land, they had to kind of prepare an area, and they had to fight against these opponents. They've never been able to completely wipe out the opponents. Okay. So they're fighting these Asian vampires called Cathayans. Mm-hmm. That, that had controlled Los Angeles and they've been able to like make treaties at times and been able to have wars against them at times and then there's also like demons that kind of rise up that they have to kind of try to stop against because that's part of the LA canon plot mm-hmm. and then there's different domains that are controlled by other people so on top of them making sure that they're the big cheese at their game they have to make sure that their stuff is not taken away by the enemies okay right. so that's pretty much an ongoing struggle yes. right. for and everyone, yes. right? And and there are tiers and different types of enemies. Mm-hmm. So if you're like, oh, well, I, I don't really care if the the Cathayans are a problem, but I really care about the demons being a problem. I can devote my attention to the the PVE against the demons, or just against the Setites, or just against this that group mm-hmm. or that, uh, which allows me to kind of pick and choose. Of oh, that's more interesting mm-hmm. to me. I'm going to go and devote time there. Okay. Now, now these, these uh, all of these NPCs or bad guys are, are they all depicted by the storytellers, or do you have like people who volunteer to be? We have both. Okay. So normally, the storytellers and the primary staff are not running the characters. They're always going to be having the NPC that comes in to either someone called in a resource from a foreign city, so that guy's got to come and give some information, or there is an enemy diplomat that's coming to, or there's some other plot point that the NPCs are bringing in. Mm -hmm. Or it could be, let's say, a player's like, well, my character would be going to New York for three months. Can I play something else and support the staff during those three months? And so we can also do both sides of that. Okay. All right. Now, the... 
like what 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 does prep look like for a typical like you you, you probably have a session a month I would imagine yeah, a session a month and then there is continuous chats throughout the month mm-hmm. and then we do the and three those cons. Are all in character those are all in character okay. then we do the three cons and then we also do at least two to three specialty games a year at minimum okay so what is it like you're weeks out from a a, a, a monthly game mm-hmm. what is prep look like? How is that handled? Okay, so players can submit uh, downtimes. We usually have a, the week before, so downtimes are due. Uh, they can be These can be the requests to, hey, I'm going to spend some time patrolling this area so that it's properly defended against other people coming in. Or, uh, hey, I'm going to try to hunt down. I, I've gotten rumors from my previous investigations about some shadow guy off under a dock somewhere. So I'm going to spend time actually trying to hunt that guy to see if he's, you know, me and my coterie can take him out. Um, it's the, hey, uh, I'm a venture and I have to go to Berlin because we owe Berlin a lot of money, so we're going to try to deal with them. Mm-hmm. They can spend the downtimes. If they say, hey, the five of us want to go to Berlin, uh, for example, I, I actually had to run something like that for Venture. There were five people that wanted to go to Berlin. We got on a Google Hangouts, and I ran a scenario playing the NPCs for them so that they could then interact mm-hmm. and have that deal, uh, and I could push I could push out information, I could push out plot to them, and they still you know, had bargains that they could strike and they could offer this deal, they could offer that, and then go back to their people and say, hey, we've now got this and that in play. Okay. Now, now how many how many storytellers are there? Uh, there are three primary storytellers. Okay. And, and those, uh, how much latitude is there? Uh, like, if, if you guys are spread out, I mean, obviously, you're not, you're not going to all be in one place. You're probably out right. with, the different, with the different packs of, mm-hmm. of people. How much latitude do you have to make decisions about unexpected things and oh, stuff like that? Uh, so, on top of just the three storytellers for plot, there's other people who can run mechanic. Right. So, if you want like referees, yeah, okay. there's referees abound. So that's not an issue. But so, also kind of the a point above what Michael's saying is once a year we actually write the the plot bible for the year, and then with that we essentially create about ten or twelve things, and everyone has either a victory or fail condition. And so the players can absolutely either succeed or fail on all those. Mm-hmm. And then each of those successes or failures essentially will will have a completion or a next plot that essentially is going to be the main arc for the year. So how many how many storylines? Because if you have a if you have twenty thirty people, how many storylines are you planning? Or do you plan for per session? So per session, I would say two to three, mm-hmm. and that doesn't include all the ones the players made. Okay. A player might have a personal goal that they're going to go off and do, and then we're going to support that with, as well. Well, yeah, with, well that, that, this, that's why I figured there wasn't a lot of story, because once the power structure gets there, there's going to be the people who, without power who are going to want it, and mm-hmm. then just all of that hilarity that Vampire is would happen. It, it, it has a session where there are people who only focus on PvP, mm-hmm. and they're only like... I want to become Harpy of the City. I'm going to stop all comers on that. I'm going to manipulate the table, and they're very self-generating. And they go right, and then there's other people who want to kind of experience the mystery of the world, and they want to okay. see what's going on, and they want to kind of explore the other pieces. And those are the people that also have those plot parts. Mm-hmm. And because those people are dealing with what's written, and the PvP people are manipulating them to get what they want, everyone's essentially being funneled on personal plot and 
environment plot. Oh, okay, that makes oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. And one of the great things is sometimes the players will will throw a curveball at us, and we'll either come up with something uh, off the cuff to do a response to, or it's like, oh, hey, I can actually dovetail this into this other piece here, mm-hmm. which allows us to connect them to other players. It allows them to, you know, have that next piece of their own plot. Uh, and, and ideally, we at least try to funnel them back towards other players and things they're doing so that people continue to be connected. Right. Uh, because that's that's the jihad in Vampire, is everybody has ties and connections to everyone else. Sure, sure. There, there are always tugs and pulls. So you, you want to fight this guy, well, maybe this guy over here can help and this guy. And, and you, you build those ties, and that's what we try to redirect them into. Right. I've been reading the... Um the Mind's Eye Theater 20th Anniversary Edition mm-hmm. is that what they call it? I don't know. What they, they call it By Night Studios or BNS. Okay, yeah. but it, it's it's the yeah, big, big vampire yeah. book that's the same size as yeah, 550 pages. Right, yeah. right. It deals a lot more with things like boons than yes. the regular Vampire the Masquerade book does. I noticed. Yeah, it has a huge amount of stuff about that, and that that I'm assuming has a lot to do with that PvP stuff or mm-hmm. with creating that sort of cohesion. Right, and because obviously you don't want a nightmare for you, just like a, sitting at a tabletop, it, seem, it seems to me, the nightmare for a GM is the one thief character who always wants to go off and sidebar <laughs> for 90% of every session, right? Right. Do you run into that same problem where you've got a person or a few people who want to go off and do their own thing and end up dominating a storyteller's time for the night? So How do you handle that? There's two methods that they did. Um, so they wrote another BNS book for Werewolf. Mm-hmm. And in the BNS book for Werewolf, they actually came up with this mechanic called Quest Sheets, where you know you don't have time to actually run it for them personally. And they essentially say what they're trying to do. You give them a list of requirements they have to meet. Once they meet those requirements, you give them some tests. When they win the test or lose the test, you tell them what occurred. Okay. And that's done. Okay. So you're in and out in 15 minutes, and they're still able to feel like they did their special thing they wanted. Cool. Right. And so so like you tell them that they're going to need certain have, have to meet certain requirements. <clears throat> are these things that they're going to uh, acquire in game? Talk to a storyteller, acquire from P- uh, other PCs. Other PCs. Right. Okay. So it's yeah. like they have to go find another guy who has that skill or that lore, and another guy who knows about this thing. Once they find all those pieces, then they come to you and say, "We're ready to go." This, okay. This brings right. up something I'm really curious about, and that's ostensibly the bookkeeping that you guys have to do, and how you guys go about adjudicating this in the moment. Bookkeeping is fun. Yeah, but there's got to be a lot, because there's three of you, plus you have to share this with uh, the referees, and the referees, and so at the end of the night, I mean, you guys... Describe to me a a typical (laughs) evening and how that works. Okay. Um, Do you want to do that, or you want me to do that? Go for it. Okay. So, uh, let's say I wake up, let's say, at 7 o'clock, the day of game. Uh, I'm already probably suited and ready by noon. Um, we probably have lunch most of the time with all the staff from noon to, uh, noon to 3, where we essentially refresh everything that we knew from last event and what we're expecting to happen. So everybody brings their notes? Yeah. Okay. Then, so, now, are, are these notes compiled during the downtime between sessions? Yes. So you're just yeah. basically, this is just a refresher course. for. Well, right, right. And, and remember, stuff has happened between right. the last... Oh, right. right. and, and, uh, and all of the downtimes have factored into this right. as well. You guys are monitoring this, right. yeah. monitoring this full time. Eh. Sometimes. If, we, it's, if it gets busy. So what we've also made them do in the chats is if we aren't monitoring it, they have to send us a sentence of what happened. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. So okay. We, we've lowered that a little. We used to monitor every day. 
It was yeah. a lot rougher. That would be crazy. Because that was 10,000 yeah. chats a day. Yeah. yeah. I can't imagine. Yeah. Yeah. There, there were individual clans and conversations that would hit 1,100, you know, yeah. 1,500 messages. I'd get fired. Yeah. I'd be spending all the time trying to figure that shit out. Not work. Well, you could, but you'd be living off the big LARP bucks. Yeah. No. no LARP bucks. No LARP bucks. <laughs> we, barely, we barely play psych fees. So. <laughs> I'll just buy a bunch of them and make a house out of it. <laughs> so then uh, we arrive at game probably around uh, 5 o'clock, mm-hmm. and game starts at about 6 to 7. Um, at that kind of intro time, everyone comes in, they sign in the sheet, uh, they pick up their items that they had for their previous character, and at that early piece, they can like say, oh, by the way, before I came to game, I did this. And they can talk to a storyteller for a few minutes. Right. We're then at event. Um, the storytellers kind of separate, run whatever they're running. But so you guys are like in Cape Canaveral, surrounded by monitors and phones and everything, and everything's ringing and buzzing, and there's notes flying back and forth. It's like <laughs> old stock exchange with phones, and you guys are trying to try it, right? So, That's what I okay. picture is going on. <laughs> Most people, first of all, all their character sheets are digital on their phones. Oh, well, that's weird. Because digital, wow. All, all the character sheets are Google Docs. Wow. Okay. Okay. And then from the Google Docs, we essentially um, can just update their XP. We can update all the things that they buy. Anytime they send a submission, we just paste it in there so they have a reference to it. And that that took us a while to build out perfectly. Right. That's been working solid. It, you still have to keep track of that. You have to look at their old yeah. one, their new one. You have to read what they did and then update. And so, the, yeah, okay. Right. Yeah. And occasionally go back and audit the books, too, of, oh, hey, I, they, they paid the wrong XP here or we charged the wrong thing mm-hmm. there. Um, um, then there's also one for quest sheets just for mm-hmm. we have the reference that so that was what the quest was. So the bookkeeping piece is primarily... The fancy character sheets and the quest sheets. Okay. Um, so if you're in an adjudication and you say, hey, I don't believe you have that, you just show the guy your phone, that's what I have. This is, this is all you sent me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Here's uh, your file. Right. And we, the people aren't allowed to edit those, they only have view permissions. Right. Yeah. O- only the staff. So yeah. anyone who shows a sheet, it's true. Because it meant a staffer edited it. All right. Um, and then uh, game ends about um, midnight. We um, gather everyone to kind of gather, say, here's some like major things, here's the next event, um, and then we normally go off and eat. We come home probably about it, one or two. You've skipped over a whole important bit, which the is gaming part while the game is going on, what is it you do? Is, like, again, is it, is it like the old, old stock exchange where things are flying back and forth and you're adjudicating and doing stuff and this guy goes here and this guy goes here, what, 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 sell, 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 buy, yes. buy? Sometimes is no. Is that right. what it's like? Or is it just sort of sitting back, drinking a beer, going, I don't want to talk to you no, right now? It's, it's pretty. <laughs> so if you're, if you're actually running it as a staffer, you're either being 100% giving info dumps, being the NPC answering their questions, supporting them that they called in for other downtimes. You're playing that character that they've called in for help. Okay. Or you're playing the oppositional character. So, because this is a live event, you have to get up, walk over there, yes. pretend to be somebody, come back, make notes about what you just did. Oh, we normally don't make them then. We, yeah, we, normally, make them, we normally compile well, you, it later. You good memories, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, how, you know, what happens if someone forgets something? Yeah. Uh, it ha- I would forget leaving that group and coming back. I would get interrupted by ten other people right? asking for stuff. By the time I got back there, I'm like, "What did I, what did I just go in out and get up there for?" You, you normally remember enough of the general story because uh, you mm-hmm. all you need to think about in every interaction is one or two sentences. You don't need every word. Right. It's this person spoke to that person and learned these data. Done. Right. That person is aggressive to get this person. That person's trying to help this person. As long as it's, it's just keeping all these fifteen characters are the hard part. As long as it's only 15. I mean, yeah. I can see 30, 40, 50 yeah. people at a at a thing. No, but like, the but, staffers are only playing one person at a time. Okay. 
Right. So and, and he'll have his people. His and he's interacting with. I'll have the clan or the group that I'm interacting with. Uh, Theo, the other guy, he'll be interacting with the group as well. I could. And, and then there'll be have to record, a bunch of people. I have to record the talking. conversation, so I went back and I'd have notes because I could just I could tell that I would get the names messed up. I could tell that I would get the nuances of the stuff that they were trying to do messed up, and then it's on me. And they're like, I never did that. What, who's this? Who's this Shali? No, no, it was Shalali. Okay, but like, even if you did uh, remember, there would be nothing wrong sending a message to that person later. You know, I was really tired in the interaction. Can you give me a refresher mm-hmm. of what occurred? You at least know who you talked to. Well, yeah. and then that maybe. person's after you. They're like, <laughs> it, it at least gives you that amount. Okay. And that is the kind of it, it, in the game moment. And then there's also times where, like you're saying, where like they, you have a group of people who want to go do something right away. So then a storyteller will take those group of people to the side, and they'll run that, and then the other two people will essentially maintain the game. So I mean, what, what happens in those situations where <clears throat> you've got some sort of storyline set up? And someone has had like a massive intuitive leap, or is approaching it from a direction that you just didn't anticipate. Because that happens. Absolutely, happens games all, all the time. time. I take pride ha- in that. Ha- ha- happens in D and D all the time. Too. Sure, absolutely. Mm-hmm. How do you, if you have several storytellers and you've got plots plotted out for the next year? And you suddenly have to improvise something. Okay, so <laughs> that's why there's never just one plot at a game. Mm-hmm. If someone absolutely completes, blows something out of the water in 15, 20 minutes, more power to them. Then we can either well, that's focus. Why you have more. Okay. Right. Either that we could focus on player plots mm-hmm. that we already know about, or we could focus on the backup plots. Okay. There's never going to be an empty moment, and we never stop someone from succeeding. Right. Okay. Because if someone, yeah, well, yeah, I figured you wouldn't. You're not going to do that. You're not going to say no. You can't do that because we didn't think of that. Right. No. It's even if they like. There was actually one day where they were so utterly successful. I'm like, guys, you've actually finished all three plots. We still have 45 minutes left of the game, but I got nothing for you. And so you guys can walk around do what you want. Go stab each other in the back. But this is all we have for you today. And and it was everyone was like, oh well, you know, it's actually more dramatic to end this moment than it is for us to kind of Miranda ran for a bit, but. We're absolutely it's it's the goal of the player satisfaction. Okay. All right. Now the the I had one more question, I just forgot it, just fell out of my head. You were you were talking about when people um derail and, and change the plots. Yeah, what's off of that? Oh, okay. I don't remember now. And also one of the benefits of that, because we know where the plot is going if someone does throw us a curveball, we we have the option of saying, All right, uh can can we incorporate this in back into the greater plot somehow, or is this? A, oh, okay. Well, that that's rolled. What would be the consequences of that being resolved this quickly? There there would have been some other group that was maybe influencing them or trying them, or now they've got attention of this other group, and then we can even if it's you know a week later we go ah this is how we can spin that and at the very least in the moment it's like all right yeah you had total success there that works mm-hmm. and then you also have to deal with just real people's lives like right. the leader of the city. Um, actually lived in Seattle. They lived in, in Washington State. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I'm not going to be able to return to the game. So we're like, okay, we were, at the, we were at the convention and we're like, we actually can have these oppositional people take out the leader of the city so that when people go to the normal game, there's a reason why the leader of the city is gone. Oh, and players okay. got to experience that. Right. Yeah. She, was, she was carrying some wood lumber yeah, and fell on a stake and was in torpor for the next <laughs> Yeah. So she... Yeah. Okay. I remember what I was going to ask you. When you do your uh, monthly games, uh, and you you have it at, at, at some kind of location, either a park or a ballroom or someone's uh, so, house, or uh, so we we typically try to go for the the cam game to be at a location. We've had uh, hotel ballrooms when we got it when we got a good deal. Uh, we have a, a couple of other places we, we've used people's houses from time to time as well. But it's one of those of from all of the guerrilla gaming back in the '90s that a lot of people experience. We, we're so happy when we get bathrooms. 
Sure. So yeah. it's like, hey, is, are you willing to pay ten bucks to pay the game or to the game so that we can spend four hundred dollars to get this site? Uh, you know, the forty people that are here and everybody gets a bathroom. Right. And our current site that we're pretty much using all the time actually looks like an eighties goth club. Yeah. It, oh really? It, it is the recording studio for this kind of heavy metal industrial thing, and so it looks like an eighties goth club. Oh, that's cool. Now, when you when you have the monthly events, are they? Uh, is it an Elysium, or is it uh, like a, a court, or is, is, it, is it a specific it's event? It's plot dependent. Okay. Right. <clears throat> it, it, it's been but you, but 90% Elysium, but yeah, the, there are times where they've gone to the Orange County to meet with the Giovanni that are in Orange County. There have been a couple times where it's specifically specified, no, this is not an Elysium tonight. So it, it, it changes, but it, typically Elysium. It, okay, and... And that and and you bounce that around to whatever place that you can happen to be able to to get or you, right? There's the out of character location where we're actually playing, and then there's the in character, you know, Elysium site or other. So we will we'll go through. We'll either post uh, pictures up uh, on the the Facebook page beforehand of saying, hey, this is the site, or we'll tell people when they arrive, hey, you're at um, the house from Blade Runner. Uh, you know that that's the Elysium for tonight, kind of that kind of stuff. Okay, all right. Okay. Uh, it brings up an actually sort of maybe a bit of a side note. Back in college when I was doing something that really wasn't a LARP, but, mm-hmm. but it could be considered a LARP now in hindsight when the word wasn't invented, uh, we would run around the area around the college and such, and um, occasionally cops would get called because there's a bunch <laughs> of people wandering around. It's got some stories about How that. How do you handle that? Because that, you know that happens, yes. especially if you're in a park or something. Yes. People who wander by people and People wander around with trench coats. Trench and katanas. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so... Uh, luckily, we've only had like two situations of that, and we can kind of essentially go, it's kind of a, a escape room uh, theater thing, and they're like, oh, okay, don't worry about it, or like someone's living right there. And we, the Sabbat game, we actually allow full props, and those only are in private residence. Right. And if you're in any open space, you can't have any props. Right. That's because something bad happened once? Can you have, uh, give me a, a beer? Well, more because I. You're able to create a different sensation with full props, and yeah. we don't want that to uh, that sensation to be for people who aren't playing. Uh, people are still in fangs and trench coats, right? But it's like which is enough to scare. I mean, people are afraid to climb. But it's enough to scare most people. <laughs> Normally, they aren't around people. Like I don't think any of the situations we've had are actually been around any large numbers of people. Like even the hotel ballrooms, no one's I mean, going in there. Okay, all right. I submit to you, you guys play in parks. What happens when you know the pickpickers okay, next door? We've, we, we've only been in parks for uh, a Bruja rant and oh, well, Bruja. Uh, what could possibly go wrong there? There's not going to be fireworks or destruction or chaos at all. It it, it was far <laughs> enough away from people that it actually wasn't. All right. It's right. like if you think SCA and people are still having that kind of issue. well, uh, yeah. That's that was what I was going to say. I mean, the SCA has gotten in trouble, but they also have rich, eccentric donors that have donated ranch land for them to just have wars on. So right. they've kind of been able to sidestep that. But And they're a little less scary because if somebody walks around in a bunch of armor, they're like, oh, it's SCA. But when you guys walk up in a trench coat with your goth makeup and fangs, people start taking their kids off the street. Most people are just walking around in three-piece suits. Okay. and That's the benefit of Camarilla. Yeah, well... They, they, they are very pro-masquerade. Okay. <laughs> I mean, if you're playing a gangrel or bruja, there's no suits. <laughs> no. Anyway. But even even them, it's... We've been lucky. I've been... Yeah. But, like, I have stories of the past where they're uh, police putting people on the grounds with shotguns. Yeah. Yes, that, that, I've been in those experiences. Okay. How, uh. how, how, uh, how far do the people playing uh, Nosferatu go? 
Okay. Because um, I think I saw someone who yeah. I think might have been in Nosferatu. No, they were playing a Shimasei at a con. Oh, they were. That was yeah. a, that, that, the tall guy? Yes. I, his I, name I, is Harry Fox. Okay. He has amazing yes. costuming. His Shimasei actually has a, a situation where every game he has to have a completely different makeup. Okay. <laughs> 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 Um, and those are only at um, events where we can kind of conceal those types of things. Got it. Um, at the actual, well, where we're able to play Camarilla, right? Sure. That was a Sabat game. At where we're playing Camarilla now, though, it is, it is almost a truck pickup area into like a secret uh, recording studio, well off of the streets, and we're only playing in the recording studios. Right. So, and it looks like a nightclub. So, all the places if people are dressed weird, it's never been an issue. Because there's just no strangers. There's just us. Right. Oh, so you're actually in a, a recording studio with like several rooms. Yes. So if yeah. people want to go in their own little covens and start mm-hmm. plot against... Right. Exactly. We've actually a couple times had to go through and say, all right, at this particular location, there are no doors. You can't You can't actually close any of these spaces. If you, so people want to listen, you, listen. If you, uh, yeah, right. if you wander around in character, you can absolutely go in any of these rooms. It, it's that uh, and the prince is stuck in a closed door meeting all, all day. If we say, okay, well, there are no doors, there is no closed room for you to go to. They have to figure out some other way to, to communicate and have that private meeting. Right. This is just like running a normal vampire game, too, except with ADD. Nobody can sit down. Everybody has to walk around. Right. <laughs> Everybody's like, that's, that's I can't, I can't sit here. i got to move around. So everybody has to move around and interact because they just they can't focus. Well, and things are happening out your perspective. Right. That is, that is, that there is, the biggest differences between tabletop and LARP is everyone is in opposition. At, when you're at a table, you have a certain concept of these are my allies. That to things an extent. to an extent. <laughs> then the second thing is there's fully stories occurring outside your perspective. Well, that's the thing I was going to say is that it seems to me the big difference would be that the, you don't have to meta game as much because people can literally go uh, you and you come here let's go talk and and other people in that group have no idea what's going on. Yes. Whereas in a tabletop, people are like talking openly. It's like you guys didn't hear any of this, so now you have to pretend like you didn't know any of that information. But that doesn't have to happen in LARP because it gen- they genuinely don't know. Right. Right. And you guys can come up and whisper something in the ear, and they're like, oh, God, the storytellers just told them shit. Exactly. And, and even though that's a little metagamey, they genuinely don't know what's going on now. Right, because it could be right. 95 bucks for the Now bar. you're immersed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. i got to find out what they... Well, that's, that's, why, that's why I've always leaned towards clearing the room or taking the player aside. Sure. For when you're having secret stuff, because... You don't. They don't have to metagame. You get to be immersed. even the best of players. I mean, it's it's that old lawyer thing, which is uh, they'll say stuff and they you know please strike that, but they've already heard it and they can't unhear it. Right. And and it still affects their judgment. It's still out there floating around. And even the best gamers, even though they don't act on information that they've heard, it's still there. Right. And it's right. hard not to color and, your decisions. Right. And sometimes you pull so hard away from that. Yeah. So that you don't accidentally metagame or be accused of it. Yeah, right. I, I had um, before I joined staff, I was playing a character, and I knew some. I knew that one of the other people was an infernalist. I, I as Michael did, but my character had no idea. And there were a couple of hints that he got, but it's like I can't just act on these hints. I, something has to happen to make yeah, it exactly. certifiable exactly. for him, right. um, so that I, I didn't accidentally. And if you as a player didn't know that, and you get these hints, go, huh? That's right. weird. I'm going to look into this. You right. would have had. No, you would, it wouldn't. He had no hesitation at all to go and look into it because you, you you're not second guessing yourself. Right? Yeah, and it'd be really cool if you're in a LARP and suddenly the storyteller walks up and says, "You know what? You smell whenever whenever he comes around, you smell brimstone." And you're like, "Do I now? Now? Okay, now there's a thing. Now you go find friends to go follow up on this. Right. I, I can as opposed to sitting at a table where you're pretending not to hear the fact that somebody just got told they smell brimstone. I, that seems really interesting to me because you can, there's a purity of 
through line. It's it's much more of a method acting. Don't you know? well, so like, you, you even don't with that, pretend you don't know. They might just lean on the side of a door and hear something. Sure. And the people didn't even know that they were overheard. Mm-hmm. Right. And then they could start a whole thing and tell other people about it, even without any storyteller involvement. Right. I'm gonna go so play, play a bruja and just make up shit. There you go. Yeah, just wandering around well, like we, make up gossip. We had a. a I think it was he was playing Bruja at the time. We had a Bruja do that. Yeah. Started well, making up things, and other people took it as fact, and then the whole political things came of it. That's awesome. Because he was like, I got this on lock, I'm going to do this thing. It's all the good facts, man. All the Tremere have ghouls with flamethrowers. That's what he went around telling people. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, Heavy Metal Jess says that we're, we can't LARP until we do the Supers LARP that we promised long, long ago. Right. Heavy Metal Jess, rock on. It's so good hey. to have you with us still. Heavy Metal Jess has been one of our listeners for the longest time. It's awesome. Yes. And she's up in the Portland area. Yeah, there's, nice. a, there's a Champions LARP. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, cha- the role-playing yeah. game. Yeah. 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 Teaches math. The LARP is much more rules light. <laughs> there's still dice. There's still no, there's no dice. You use, a, you use the... the Hundredths of a second. Mm-hmm. It's a D10 system, so you just beep beep, and then whatever that number is, because you're not going to be able. Oh, to, oh. It, it moves so fast, you know. You know that the coolest that w- one of the coolest things I saw at Gen Con that excited me more than anything else when we played games on demand, which mm-hmm. is the, the Vampira cosplayers love that. No, oh, L5R LARP. Oh, all right. Well, you got your all of these, all of these kimonos and. And katanas wandering around with fans whispering to each other. It was fantastic. Well, like there's a, a Star Wars LARP about a Cantina Far Away that they are all dressed in Star Wars stuff. Oh, really? Yes. Is that done here or is that? Yeah, it's in LA. Is it? Yeah, that's awesome. Very fun. Okay, we should we should go on to emails. Sorry, I'm still riveted by this. I, I, mean, I know. I'm still the nuts and bolts of a LARP. I, I think I might just have to go and experience it to see how it's. I'm really more interested in the mechanics of it than I am in the actual playing of it. <laughs> Well, I really want to see how it is. I don't have that kind of time. <laughs> I can barely do the tabletop stuff that we do. And even then, it's... yeah. I, we'll see. Maybe someday when I get unemployed or hurt or something and have time to... But I'm really interested in how you guys do this voodoo that you do. Well, maybe you might just come to a con game. It also doesn't seem like fun to me to be a to be a, a storyteller. Because it seems like a lot of bookkeeping. Oh, see, I would. I think I would. Would you? I think I would. I, I control freak. I do a lot of uh, <laughs> DMing for D and D as well. It's the I, I'm I'm presenting a plot, and these people are, are interacting with it. Um, they're they're telling a bit of a story, and I'm I'm giving them the tools to tell their right. story. And it's the I feel kind of the same way. of This is we're, we're we're giving them extra pieces to play with. We're, we're especially with the environment stuff. We're we're giving them the set pieces, and then they what they want to play with comes into play. And we just kind of let them run, and it, it scratches a certain creative itch yeah. to do it, and it, it's fun. It's fun doing that kind of prep, if that is the thing that you consider to be fun. Like, it's like stage managing, though. I mean, yes, there are certain people that love to stage manage, sure. and and it's traffic control, and it's it's making sure that people hit their marks and get out there on time, and it's a right. lot of it's a lot of work. But stage managers make a play go on. Of right. Actors otherwise would just be wandering around backstage lost. The, I don't the, know where the, door the is. sound guy be making out with his girlfriend, right? The, uh, the sound guys have girlfriends. The That's ticket funny. people will be running away with the money. It's the sound. It, it, it's the, it's the <laughs> stage managers well. that make the stuff go around. That's ostensibly your job. It's part babysitter. It's also part part taskmaster because you have to make sure right, that people yeah. like, get the hell out there. But you're also coming up with plot lines and you're, co- you're coming up with all kinds of stuff to to throw at the players. Mm-hmm. And, and that stuff's fun. Making sure people don't wander too far off the book. You just dropped six pages, you moron! Get back out there and fix it. 
Well, like to also help people who are, don't know as much. Every two weeks, we also do educational videos so they understand the mechanic better. So they need less storytelling. So, so on top of all oh, of you this, do? you're oh, also really? making yes. videos. Uh, and I Man. do a. Um, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's sort of an anarch uh, using his uh, technomancy to you know have this video that appears, and I, I'll do a two minute video talking about the kind of the global gossip, uh, and then there'll be a piece about the local LA game that has happened uh, either months ago or has happened again now, so that they, they get this extra little bit of hey hey hey, it's your old pal Squints now, mm-hmm. and it, it's just uh, it's a mask and it's a voice. And put it on my put it on my phone, record it once, and send it off, kind of thing. Oh, that's awesome! That's very cool. That little, a little bit like, of immersion, right? And a, little, a little hint of majestic in there with mm-hmm. a sort of a multimedia going on. Absolutely. All right, uh, majestic. I, I, I did not play majestic. Yeah, yeah. That well, was the thing that ended right around nine eleven. Ah, because people were like, someone's going to think that this is someone plotting. Something. Quite literally, the day it started, the planes hit the building. I, I mean, it was like within days, and they were like smart enough to pull it off. But it was going to be this whole immersive, like you would get phone calls mm-hmm. and these clues that would happen. You'd get mail. Somebody would come up to the door, hand you a note, and leave. I mean, it was going to be this full-on... Like the Institute? Yeah, or the game. I remember the movie The Game? Yeah. It would be something like that. Um, but uh, people thought better of it after 9-11. Cause well, there are things called... I think they're called haunts. Were there yes. horror-themed versions of that? Right, and there's still the murder mystery theaters and dinner yeah. theaters and stuff, but this was much more of a, you would just be walking down the street and somebody come up and hand you a note or whisper yeah. something and move on, and they were hired actors that were part of this whole thing that would interact throughout, you know, X amount of time. But anyway, it, I, I, we wander off. I bring this up now and again because it was such a cool idea and I was on the cusp of doing it, and then I, I always give them credit because after 9-11, people would be too paranoid. If some weirdo came up and handed you a note, they would get shot. Yeah. And or at least, you know, call someone. Right. Yes. Right, right. That's like why the Institute only worked in San Francisco. It's like nowhere else would you randomly trust a stranger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess you've got some some uh, of your people in the in the chat room because they're talking about squints. Yes. Yes. Okay. Is he? Is he? Does he uh, drop a lot of? Uh, plot gold. Uh, he, you just out he's yourself? been five. Or, I, I, I think there's five videos of that, maybe yeah. four or five. Um, and it's he gets rent wildly mixed reactions. Uh, I'll, I'll post a video, and like ten minutes later, the chats will start blowing up. Of who the heck is this guy? We gotta find him. We gotta kill him. And da, 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 he just outed this and things like that. So it's. Uh, Did you uh, just out yourself? Are you gonna be in trouble now? Oh, no, everybody knows. Everybody knows he's a bad guy. Yeah, right. everybody knows that me, Michael, is the one portraying it, but they have no information about. Who he is. Yeah. So there is some metagaming elements, huh? Well, because he's a staffer. <laughs> so I get it. So it's the character yeah. that I'm And playing. he's wearing the uh, the mask from uh, uh, Mr. Robot. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so now... I um, love that show. When, uh, do you, like, you'll give this video to like one person and they choose who they're going to send it to? Or do you post it on a Facebook group? Or? So for that, I'll, I'll post them on the Facebook group. Because he's using Technomancy. Essentially, all of their phones and tablets, etc. start ringing with this streaming video. Okay. And I, oh, it, so, it's got a timestamp so of, hey, at 11 so o'clock on this night. He's not a vampire. No, no, there's but, Vampire Technomagic. Oh, yeah. there's Vampire Tech yeah. Technomagic? Yeah. Yes, there is. So. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, uh, that anarchs that has that. Canon? Yeah, it is. This canon, really? Yeah. Which, which, which clan is that? No, no, th- it's a pathothaumaturgy called Technomancy. Oh, it is? Oh, there yeah. is. Okay. Uh, in 20th? It might be in the Mind's Eye book, or what, it, what they call it. It's in oh. Mind's Eye, but it is actually in um, the uh, Rites of the Blood in V for V20. Oh, it is? Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. It's um, scattered amongst three chapters, though, so you have to track it all. No, they, the, the stuff Forwards for the, over here and seven yeah. there and two here. Most of, the, most of the stuff for the powers is all right there. I just failed to yeah. read it. 
All right. Would you like to, since you guys are new here, would you like to read the first email? Sure. Um, the making bookkeeping fun. Hey, yes, that's that's topical. It's a long one. If you want to break, we can break it up because. Uh, well, I'll give it a shot. All right. Oh, wise and drunken ones of great renown, I beseech your wisdom on another gaming topic: how to make bookkeeping fun. I'll start off with a caveat that a good story trumps everything, and you can have a satisfying campaign with no material advancement. I'd like to discuss the management of wealth in RPGs. While this can be true of any game, there are certain systems that use accumulation of wealth or material goods as a primary method for advancement, and even most systems with more traditional advancement systems tend to include wealth accumulation in their models. Mm-hmm. With any of these, there are a number of pitfalls and opportunities. I'll list a few that I've brainstormed, but would like to hear your thoughts on more. I'll use the Goldilocks analogy for my three main points. This bed is too soft. The voice is not going to go anywhere. Uh, yeah, you, you're going to need more water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, this bed is too soft. Uh, everyone's heard of or experienced the Monty Hall campaign where your first level adventurer pilfer a dragon's horde and are suddenly walking around with vorpal swords and rods of wonder. Yeah, I, I, I used to run those, yeah. <laughs> Let me just make an observation. This is the second or third time I've seen Monty Hall spelled H-A-U-L. Right, yeah. Which makes it, it makes it funnier than H A L L, yeah. Right. But it, it's that they don't know who Monty Hall was. I, well, I don't know. I, I don't, don't know if that's. I, I, a, don't, I don't know. Well, if that's a I'm giving them benefit of the doubt that it, it makes it more sense. Just like fat loots is not L. Yeah. It's, <laughs> well, I, mean, I was thinking it's when you have quite a hall when you when mm-hmm. you get all the loot. Right, right, right. Monty Hall. And, and I've even seen that written that way in game books. Really? Oh. Yeah. Interesting. I've no. I, I've only noticed this in the last like two weeks, and I've seen it like in three different. Mm-hmm. Just disparate places written. It's a wonderful. H-A-U. It's a pun, you know. Yeah. It's wonderful. It's great. It's palindrome. Palindrome. It's the same as what is backwards. Sorry. Apart from avoiding this entirely, you could throw a few complications, such as making the players figure out how to get this massive wealth back to civilization. One million gold pieces doesn't fit in a backpack, even if you're not playing with encumbrance. Rampant inflation of the local economy with sudden influx of gold. Uh, or maybe this uh, podunk little town now becomes a major trading hub, bringing with it a host of new plot points. Uh, or, by flashing a bunch of bling, the players are now the targets of bandits, criminal conspiracies, throngs of beggars, and pobbish nobles. Maybe some of this is good, uh, enabling them to get the uh, get in with the kingdom's political elite or take, some, uh, or take over some of the organizations. Right, you show up on the million gold pieces, you are... The political elite. Yeah. Every third cousin on the planet right. when they come to visit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Option two. This bet is too hard. In gritty games such as post-apocalyptic game or mech warrior or maybe a noir campaign, managing resources might be critical to the feel of the game. It's not much a wasteland if you're not counting your bullets and wondering where your next meal will come from. In cases like this, I struggle a bit with how to do it well. While there is a sense of suspense to be had from material scarcity, there also seems to be too much immersion breaking. It's easier to track resources for the player sitting with a calculator, pen, and paper for the character who is in a second-to-second firefight. Uh, It's also harder for other things for the player to remember the random matchbox you picked up 18 months ago in real time, but that character remembered essentially because it was merely two days ago in game time. In these cases, it would seem like abstractions such as a vampire's wealth stat or some such could be used to invoke a nope, you ran out of X, Y, or Z at a critical moment. Even then, though, I'd worry about such shortfalls coming across to the GM fiat quashing the player's plans. Um, it is a double-edged sword. I've played games where you had to count every arrow. You had to go and fetch them. And it does add a sense of urgency. It does add meaning to these things. But yeah, all of a sudden you start keeping a list of your inventory. Like, how many matches do I have left? How much food do I have? Oh, I need to hunt now. And it can descend into just checking off boxes off your inventory. But 
That being said, if you know that that's what it is, you make a list and you make it easy to access pretty quickly. Well, I mean, the Blood, Blade, and Tusk game, that's a, a kind of a medieval fantasy, which mm-hmm. is the Inquisition meets Orcs. Uh, and that is a very resource-tight game. Gina's character has to literally go and check her arrows and see after she kills someone with them and see what kind of condition they're in. And, and it, it's actually caused <clears throat> plot complications because there are times when the you know, part of the party has enough money to be able to afford an inn and the other part of the party is <laughs> camping outside, outside the wall <laughs> right. of the city so they're not they're you know a, a good distance apart from each other when the shit hits the, the economy has split the party <clears throat> right yes the stratification yes <laughs> class uh, class One of the, and that's an interesting thing it sometimes it can get tedious yes but it so far it has had a, it's had brought an interesting aspect so i usually ignore that stuff in yes it's like if you want to buy something, yeah, we'll just get it. I don't care. Right. But um, it, it it it's made things that you find of value more valuable. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I'm gathering up tents and boots, and does he have armor? And I'm you know every can I sell these boots for two to three copper? Because it does add up after a while. But I mean that also comes from like Fallout, playing Fallout, where you you're gathering up all of the paper clips, or or is it uh, it's bobby pins that you can. Or, or you didn't know. He didn't know. He was just selling them. And then no, I wasn't even and, uh, selling them. I was leaving them. He didn't know he had needed them. Right. 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 Then I found a safe. And I, how do you, who picks a safe with a bobby pin? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was in a game years ago Fuck where you did count all the things, but at a fight, you had to flip that sheet over. Mm. Ooh. Because you're in panic. Exactly. You're paying attention. And right? only the storyteller knew what your numbers were. And he'd say, oh, no, you're actually out of arrows. Because in the middle of the fight, you're not hunting through your bag of what mm-hmm. you have. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're like, uh, and you have to try to remember, I looked at that sheet a while ago, but in the fight, how many arrows can I waste on that guy? How many? Or if you're panic firing a 9mm exactly. over the course of several several instances, you don't know how many rounds you got left. I right. did play a Boot Hill game with Richard Garfield years ago. It's the first and only time I ever played Boot Hill, and I forgot to reload after one event. And I was one bullet short. Oh, and it was like, and and he goes, so did you reload after the, that other that last bullet you did? I'm like, Shit, I didn't say it, did I? And he, so he, and he goes, click. click. <laughs> <laughs> uh, see, I, I usually have my players like when I play D D games, um, I'll have them track the special stuff. Like if they get extra ammunition and they only have six shots of this type of arrow, right. they have to track that. But a standard arrow, unless they're going to go on an extended campaign, dungeon crawl, right. they're, they're going to be in three dozen fights before they get into another town. It's like, okay, yeah, you're, you're going to be able to go to town, you're going to find for a couple of copper and some arrows, it's not going to be a problem. It's the specialty stuff that you want to track more. Sure, yeah. Still, that click resonated. Yeah. <laughs> it made the story so much more interesting, because now all of a sudden tables are flipping and I'm trying to reload while the gunfire is going off. Uh, and it would not have happened if I wasn't doing resource management, or if I did do, or, or uh, had unlimited bullets, like the way most people play these games. Much more interesting. Bullets are magic items. They yeah. They really are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, oh, carry on. Uh, this bed is just right. Okay, that's not the best use of analogy, but the real reason I'm writing this email is to get thoughts on traditional traveler campaign, or something like it, where flow of cash is effectively the primary way of rewarding players and advancing characters. As a player who likes some of the nitty-gritty of party-level accounting, I run the books on maintaining our party's medieval estate in a Pathfinder, Pathfinder game I play, I'm still daunted by the level of detail in Traveler. 
It feels like you could easily turn a game into either one or two above just by making some poor assumptions or math on job rewards. Either you mess up and the party isn't making enough money to fuel the ship and or make it worth their while, or you slip in an extra zero and now they buy their way out of problems. I think I know at least one of Stu's approaches, given how much abstraction was being done in the Ashes of Exodus campaign. But how do you balance hand-waving away the accounting and things like Bruce's character in the Star Wars campaign, where it seemed that his primary goal and source of satisfaction was upgrading the ship? I can see hand-waving things like maintenance and fuel costs, and just saying, Mr. Johnson will pay you one mega credit plus expenses to transport his Regalian aardvark to the Regina of the Spinward Marches. But don't know how it's reasonable to then split that money between five party members, one of whom owns 50% stake in the ship, and another which is a drifter that just happened to befriend, etc. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on a tangential note, one thing I really enjoy is being encouraged to spend some portion of the character income on indirect uses. For example, taking some of your hard-earned dungeon crawl electrum and donating it to the local temple of Tirmor, uh, investing in a local merchant, outfitting your household guard with, guard with good equipment, donating in a local politician for future endeavors, etc., instead of just buying yourself a new shiny piece of armor. Thanks for bearing with me and my JIP-worthy email? Jib, yeah. Jib-worthy Jib email. Uh, in length, if not girth and quality. Ah. Steve in SoCal, the Grimace on the forums. Uh when it comes to things of travel, I have to default to Firefly because basically we've discovered that Firefly. Hand to mouth. Wait, what? Hand to mouth? Yeah. Hand to mouth. Well, and also I think it's what you were what you started in one of your traveling games uh, is the one where Dave was the owner of the ship, which yeah, is that's because we Dave rolled a duke. He did an archduke or <laughs> but, something. But we were all basically employees getting a salary, and then if we did make a big windfall, then it was distributed. But otherwise, he on top of running the ship, we all had to get X amount of money every month. Otherwise. Well, well, you were I was playing the cook, so I was hired on as crew. Yeah, you were all employees. Right. We were all employees. Right. And that kind of, I think, is how Firefly kind of worked, too, which is these guys were all on this ship. They were all getting a stipend of some sort to be there, and then if there was a windfall, it got distributed. But otherwise, Mal had to make sure that he kept, basically, and that was part of basic expenses, but making sure that everybody got their 1,000 credits a month or whatever it was. And that's kind of the way to handle it, I think, when you're dealing with a ship in Traveler, is there's one guy in charge, or two guys, and they have to figure out, you know, they pay their crew, and then anything left over, they get to keep themselves after fuel and everything else. Right. Well, that's, that's just, I think, how that model's supposed to work. But people forget. Everybody thinks that they're all just freelancers, and they're all in it together. It's not the way it's designed. The way that you can do it, though, even if they're all freelancers, is you do it more of an expanse method, where it's ebbs and tides of we have a ton of money, then the ship got blown up, and we stole another ship. And you constantly ebb and tide of things are great, things are bad, things are great, things Beast are bad. Beast famine cycles. And just like how you see in Expanse. In Expanse, we got we got this uh, rogue ship that's terrible, we barely survive, oh, now we go steal a cool Martian ship. And now you kind of move it where the resource growth that, that is only... That didn't steal that. It was legitimate salvage. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <Totally legitimate. laughs> and, but part of the cool thing about Travelers, you know, is uh, it is upgrading your ship and, and, and such. Uh, it's not as cool as the video games where you're like, oh, cool, I found a new ship, I'm going to you know, upgrade and all that. But it's, it is kind of, you get attached to it like a house. You're like, it's our ship, man. I'm not just going to dump it. So I, I, I have to admit, I actually have never played Traveler. I'm unfamiliar with the system. Um, are there ways then, if you are you know, the bookkeeper for the ship and, and running your, your expenses and whatnot, could you even get to the point of <clears throat> trying to find different suppliers for food and fuel so that you can get maybe a better deal in this port sure, yeah. and, and that reduces your overall expenses there's, at times? There's game mechanics for, for, for that. Right. 
take, taking out loans and credits and having to pay interest rates it's back. Absolutely, and it's actually all there. It's actually a very wow. elegant, simple game. Despite all of that, it's a really, <laughs> yes. really cool. It can game. become as complicated as you want. Yeah. All that okay. stuff is there. You can, uh, in, in fact, Dave. I sat down because Dave's character. He made there's a a bunch of expansion books for this is Mongoose Traveler, which was a, sort of a republishing of the old original. Which, as a side note, if you've never played, just go buy the book and do a character generation for yourself, and you will be in, instantly hooked because you basically make a randomly generated character. Nice. And, and it's got like a little mini game in and, and the of car- yeah, yeah, it's it's a game in and of itself. It's fantastic because you go through these, you go through training, you fail out, you go to another one, you have these, you know, and, and you gather up these skills, and then each time, anyway, it's a lot of fun. And then you get this character, you're like. I have no idea. He has no combat skills, I, but he's got an engineering of three. Okay, I guess I'm going to... So at the end of this thing, you end up with a character that you would never have planned out on your own, and you have to make it work. Okay. The the, the character that David made, uh, it was out of the Merchant Prince book, which gives you a lot of advantages with the social status, which is one of your six stats. And he ended up with a social status of like four. 15 or 14 or something. Which, oh, let's explain too that this is a 2d6 system. Okay. Right? And basically 12 is... The highest you're ever going to roll. Roll. But during character creation, numbers can go higher. Because you, you get bonuses. And you, right. Okay. So he, he was an archduke. Like, second cousin to the guy in charge <laughs> of the entire universe. Maybe related <laughs> to the emperor. Right. Maybe not. Who knows? But now I have to figure, we had to figure out, okay, why the hell is this Archduke, he had, and he had, I don't know, 20 shares or something in a, a yacht. Yeah. What the hell is he doing <laughs> going around with the rest of the party? Oh, just a little gallivanting today. Exactly. So, we, had, we had to give it up a, a justification of why this guy's on, on so Serenity. He's on, we, we, what we figured out was that he was on the run. Someone had mm. tried to assassinate him. His father is actually Duke, but he's heir. So and his, there was an attempt on his life. So he's actually out hopping from system to system, just trying to stay away from where they think mm-hmm. the people might be trying to kill him. I like it. And he had to hire a crew. So the rest of the party, whether they were suited for those positions or not, some of them were there undercover under other auspices. Some of them weren't. And that, but everyone in the party made up the crew of the ship, pretty much exclusively. I don't think there were any NPCs on the crew. I think it was all PCs because mm-hmm. it was a six group. Or six-member party, and I had like I was a, ended up hiring as a cook because I think I had one or something in hospitality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just it randomly came up because again, it's all these random tables. I got hospitality one or two. I'm like, I, can I be the cook on the show? That'll work. <laughs> and and then and one of the things that they would do is they would go to one one uh, system, buy stuff for the cargo hold at a certain price, then go to the next system and try to sell it for more, obviously, so they could make money. Plus, they have to buy fuel. And supplies for the ship and all that stuff. And but yeah, we were keeping track of all that stuff. He, Dave had a little book. He kept all that stuff up. And and um, I remember he had a problem with um, uh, he was bought because and there's and, and Merchant Prince has all of the game mechanics to do that. So it's all like random tables and stuff to figure space out. Trackers. Yeah, and and he bought stuff. And went to go sell it in the next system. The price wasn't high enough. It was like actually a little lower because it was a bad roll. Mm-hmm. And so, but he had a, a a stat, or I don't think it was a skill. I think it was like an advantage called influence. Mm-hmm. So he could literally go to the because he's an archduke. <laughs> he can go on media and say, "Oh yeah, our um, 
our investment firms are uh, are, are uh, suggesting a heavy buy on this commodity right now because there's there's been problems that uh, we've been foreseeing in the future. Nothing's happening yet, but we think. And so he basically did a pump and dump to <laughs> to be able to make extra money off of stuff so he could keep his ship flo- afloat. So and, it, and it's an interesting thing. It is sort of like bookkeepers and owlbears or whatever you want to call it's it. It's the EVE Online uh, role-playing game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, EVE, EVE definitely has elements of Traveler to it, for sure. But, and, and this, was a, this was a unique Traveler game, because for the most part, people are trying to play, you know, sort of a hard science fiction game. Uh, it was a different spin, but it, it, it's all in there if that's the game you want to play. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, um, and as much or as little as you want. Right. But I mean, as as bookkeeping goes, how do you, how would you streamline a bookkeeping game? I mean, if you if it, okay, let's say you want to play um, a wastelands game, a Fallout game, where resources are scarce. How do you how do you streamline that so it doesn't become bookkeeping and owlbears or right. accountants and owlbears? Or I think you have to identify what is the scarce item and what is not. Well, there's going to be everything scarce. It's the you know water, ammo, uh, uh, stim packs, radiation okay. medicine. All of that is stuff is scarce. But but how do you how do you streamline the? F- so, so everyone's not sitting there with a spreadsheet yes, exactly. at every session. Exactly. How I do just you- don't give them enough where they, they can just keep pushing <laughs> it on the yeah. Every day you're starving. We're just rolling to see if you you, you wake up. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Stephen Sokal, yeah. for the email. Uh, next email is from uh, Questions to be Asked. It's from Drill88. Greetings. Hello and hello, you magnificent bastards. Isaac from Texas here with a question concerning small party campaigns as well as going the extra mile with your character. Too long did not read. Number one, is it wrong to have a smaller group of characters get more powerful faster in terms of loot skills and levels? TLDR 2, what are some moments where you as players have gone the extra mile outside of game for the sake of story, props, discussing plans, their players, etc.? actually act. Uh, I have a long and bumpy road of DMing for bad players and seeing two groups fall apart in my hands. I mm. uh, was about ready to hang up my tabletop hat for good. I live in a small town hours away from any place like Houston um, where gaming is more prevalent and in the general crack of Texas where things like tabletop gaming are still considered the gateway to hell. Mm. <clears throat> So it came as a great surprise that I ran into a couple of friends of mine who just so happened to have had a similar string of bad experiences. After swapping sad tales of broken games, unfinished stories, we all decided to meet up one day and get a game started. The location of this meeting? A booth at the local McDonald's. Like you do. Currently, the DM is running 5th edition Horde of the Dragon Queen and is favoring uh, the fun and interesting style of game playing rather, uh, rather than totality of the books. The party consists of me, a dragonborn mercenary, and his, the DM's girlfriend, playing a half-elf witch. So far, the game has been fun. Uh, we've been playing weekly for several months now, barring life issues and hurricanes. Mm. But, you know. Oh, this is a timely one. Yes. Uh, yeah, this is recent, like within the last couple of days. Um, uh, oftentimes, uh, after the session, we all chat about how to, mo- how to move forward, and I came across an interesting point of view. When playing... For a very small group of people, two in our case, it is necessarily wrong to is it necessarily wrong to reward your players more? As of the writing of this email, we are two levels above the suggested level of encounters we are facing, and we still have 
moments where our lives flash before our eyes due to being swarmed by dragon cultists and overrun by giant spiders. Well, you are playing a game that definitely takes into account party size, and your party size is two. So unless he's really scaling back the encounters... That's where You're I was going. Going to flash before your well, That's where I was going with that too. It's like, yeah, you're playing with just two people, and if one of them's not really a healer, uh, yeah, it could get it could get tricky fast. So yeah, you better be overpowered. Yeah, mercenary. So I'm assuming that's not a bard. So he doesn't have any healing ability, mm. and a half elf which could, I guess. I don't know what. I don't know. There might be I don't maybe know, paladin mercenary, ranger mercenary. Yeah, mm. who can say? Uh, life flash. Right? Also, also poison damage uh, in the monster manual is broken <laughs> all to hell. Yeah. When facing an assassin with a poisoned blade, taking an additional 76 damage when you aren't built like a tank is outrageous. But I digress. The game is fun. Our characters' stories are unfolding as we go, and I'm looking forward to each session in the future. Recently in game, our dragonborn has bonded with the half-elf, thinking of her as a sister and really breaking out of his introverted loner self. And this has promoted me to write up a last will and testament for my mercenary, entrusting all of his belongings to her should he die, as well as any of his valuables and holdings that lie in his hometown. And when I say write up the will, I actually got parchment paper <coughs> excuse me, and wrote out the whole thing. Got it sealed in an envelope, and I'm waiting for the pot- potential doom so I can hand it to her across the table. That's awesome. Yeah, don't tell her about it. And just Yeah, that's cool. You find this one. Hopefully she's not listening. Right. Uh, and yes, I know that looting the body is the first thing you do when a friend dies. That's how I expect her to find the letter. Um, uh, this is a first for me, and I've never been so invested with characters' uh, relation before, and I'm having a blast doing it. Many thanks. Have a drink. Isaac from Texas. Drilling it on the forums. P.S. Not applicable. I like small parties myself. And I think it's a party of two people is actually a really cool idea. It's bold. And hopefully your GM is playing along with you, and they may have to, for example, uh, uh, level you more to make sure that you don't have a bad experience. Because, let's face it, D&D is really set up for a balanced group, or at least 4E was. 5E maybe is less so. But it's if you don't have a balanced group, things go sideways fast. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by balanced group, you have a range, you got to have a healer, you got to have a you know, DPS, and you got to have a controller or whatever. I mean, it, it can really, it really gets that mechanically crunchy sometimes and it pisses me off and I really like to see people like I want to play a group of two druids and we're just going out and having a party and hanging out and doing stuff and maybe we're going to be druidic investigators I mean that's cool to me I I hope that the GM will massage the system enough to allow you to explore those options so yeah overpower your characters if there's (coughs) I I don't think there's a problem with it yeah especially what was his other question stuff that you you, you 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 going to make props it's great to make props I love props. Yeah. As a player, right. I don't know if I ever have. Um, Rob did in our other traveler game, in Bill's Star Wars traveler mm-hmm. game, he sent us contracts by mail mm-hmm. to each of our characters because <laughs> he was basically going to be the boss of us because he was he was a retired admiral. Again, traveler, he, we were his employees. Right. Mm-hmm. Until shit went sideways. And I'm pretty sure we all got fired. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't <laughs> actually finish the, the game. But I don't know. Have you ever done anything like that as a player? I, I'm uh, I'm a big fan. I was actually wanted to address the, the DM side of this. Oh, okay. okay. I, I have uh, I started a game uh, four or five years ago. It was a D and D campaign, and we ran it for two and a half years. 
And every time I've started a new campaign, especially on this one, it's like, each of you make your own characters independently. Don't worry about the party balance. Don't worry that we have a striker and a cleric and all this. I, as the DM, will massage the system and the encounters to make sure that they aren't too lethal until you figure out a way of, uh, you know, you, you finally picked up a healing spell over here or you bought just gaggles of healing potions. Uh, so the, the the DM realizes if you're running this and you're running for your friends, it's your game. Mm-hmm. Right. The DM gets to make all the choices that he wants. If he wants to level them five levels above the encounter, go for it. Exactly. Um, as, as I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all because the DM is the one that's running the game. Uh, and bottom line is, I mean, are you having fun? I mean, obviously the encounters yeah. are still challenging. It's not like you're cakewalking through, which is fun sometimes too. Mm-hmm. But obviously, you're still having. I mean, so. I don't. It's not broken. Why problem make when well, no, no problem, problem have? You yes. don't want to make. And I guess on the prop things in in a tabletop, it's one thing, but like obviously in LARP, we constantly people bring a prop. Can this be approved for that object? Mm-hmm. Right. Because they're physically walking around with it. Right. <coughs> but if you're in a tabletop, it's all the better. You're like, even if someone painted their own mini, that's kind of the prop. That's what I think my guy looks like. That's that's my representation of this. Mm-hmm. So. Any work that people that players are willing to do to help add immersion always helps. Well, I, mean, I haven't presented it yet. Maybe it's a bit of a spoiler, but I've, I've actually was going to write up stuff for the next vampire game, but I ended up finding like a handwriting font, and so I just typed it out. But mm-hmm. but I I made a props for my character for the vampire game that at some point I'm going to pull out for another character. But I mean, it's it was just sort of copy, cut, and paste mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But it, I mean. As a GM, it's something I like to do anyways. To give my character, and I learned from Stu. Stu's very good at it. He will hand me a letter with, you know, sealing wax on it. And now you get to open it up and you have to read it, or a newspaper with articles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't see any reason why players can't do the same thing back and forth to each other. It's just another cool thing. Uh, I don't know how many players think that way, but I think GMs as players do. Right. Is that is that a fair assumption? Yeah, because they're so used to creating that for the player. Right. They want to create it for the players that they're playing with. Right. Right. Yeah, I, and I, I think it, if you don't if you don't put props in your games, you guys are missing out on a really cool thing. First of all, yeah. it's sort of like craft time, right? You get to sit around with scissors <laughs> or whatever and buy parchment paper and come up with cool fonts and stuff. The other thing is your players go ape shit over it. Uh, all of my one shots, all of my con games have some sort of prop. Um, my favorite one was uh, the, the, my characters are in the Fey realm and they had to. There were two doors and the doors were broken. And they had to assemble these doors and figure out which door, and they stick them on a wall and figure out because it's the Fey Realm which door opened up to where they were going. So I gave them an envelope with these little cut-up pieces, and they had to assemble it and figure out which door was which. It was really kind of cool. And all of a sudden, everybody became like six-year-olds, and they're putting puzzle pieces together, and they loved it. And it was just this interactive prop that just sort of—it was like a, a salad in between meals. You know, all of a sudden they were they were gaming, and now they're all putting these pieces together. Oh wait, I got one here. I think that goes over here, and then they were up into the game again. I think you're. I think it brings everybody together. It's a fun thing to have happen. Is have props and stuff in your game. Um, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, we we've had a couple times where uh, uh, players and I've done it myself. Uh, Brought a deck of cards to one of the games, and there have been games for you know betting on boons. Mm. Um, I, I do a betting couple, on boons. I, I do a couple mm. of um, card mm. tricks. Um, so I, I did card tricks a couple of times to, for the players, just because my character was like, "Hey, so uh, I, I'm an old Hollywood uh, movie actor, and I, I'm always working on my skills, and I'm learning this uh, extra slide hand piece." And it was Doing uh, it, it was you know card tricks, and I was able to pull out an ace at the, at the end of it all, kind of thing. Um, so yeah, little things like that that are the extra, they're not just the uh, I'm walking around. Those are great. 
and they're, they're not required, but I think, they're great when they I have I think it. you as LARPers probably end up dealing with people with more props than tabletop stuff. Right. Because people show up, I'm, I'm going to just generalize, but I'm saying like, you know, every third person shows up with something other than just fangs and a trench coat that they want to play with. I, mm -hmm. have a, I found this parchment or I, I've got you know, information. New shit has come to light, man. Like information, <laughs> man. <laughs> so like at the Sabat game, since we allowed full prop interaction, there's a whole different experience when someone's upset with you and they just put an airsoft shotgun in your face. Mm -hmm. And being pulled <laughs> into that moment where okay, you're like... Those things hurt. No, no. So it, the whole concept was <laughs> everything. Everything was physically tested before, and there's no bullets. No one had pellets. Okay, right. So even if you shot, it was just a puff of air. Okay. Our lawyers say <laughs> that we have to say that we checked everybody ahead of time. No, it's just a, a puff of air. Even all the people who brought swords had like boffer weapons, so they could like brandish. Right. But you right. were never allowed to touch another person with an object. Okay. Right. And and we always leveled the the moment you touch a person with that object, we never have props again. Have prop, props again. You're going to ruin it. Yeah, for, for everyone. everyone. Oh, sure. Yeah. And but still that. That experience, though, of, of cocking the air soft and pointing at a person <laughs> brought you into that moment. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And uh, all, all it takes is one real fireball to ruin an entire LARP. <laughs> well, so like, then, well, then you have your deck saved, so maybe <laughs> it doesn't ruin everything. Well, okay. Then you have Boffer LARPs, yeah. where the whole concept is that you're going to be throwing your spell packets, you're going to be hitting yeah. people with stuff. Right. And and that brings that visceral experience. If you're running down the hill in a full plate of armor and you got your elf ears on and you're you're there with your pole arm, there's beanbags flying over exactly. your head. Exactly. Right. As long right. as it's beanbags, it's the guy that brings the Roman candle that fucks with you. <laughs> that, you know, fireball, fireball, and it's actual fireballs coming at you. Yeah. Oh, what's that what's that shotgun round? Is it called Dragon's Breath? Yeah. It's yeah. got magnesium yeah. in it. Yeah, I, I watched a couple of YouTube videos because someone mentioned that on the forum. Magnesium versus yes. thermite. Something it's, ma it's magnesium. Okay. Yeah, because I looked up how to load them. Because I, lo I load ammo, and, and uh, but I would never do that. <laughs> but there, there was someone who had, I, I either bought it or custom loaded it, and was out in the Thule's somewhere. Was that the crazy Russian video? No, it's here somewhere in the United okay. States, and they lit a hillside on fire. <laughs> yeah. And they're over there running. I mean, fire this thing, and it looked like a freaking fireball came Mag out of the end Magnesium of that is gnarly. I mean, there's all these old stories. I mean, I, I used to drive a Volkswagen, and okay. old Volkswagens were mag you know, magnesium uh, cases. Oh, yeah. And they used to, you know, when a Volkswagen died, they would. it was always a big tradition. You'd take it out to the desert, and you'd pull the case out, and you'd make a bonfire, and then eventually the magnesium would ignite, and you'd have this, like, holy inferno. shavings, and, and those it, shavings will burn right away. Well, yeah, that's what would happen. Is, and, or, you know, and so you end up with this... Who this, the hell decided, I'm going to make an engine block out, out of magnesium. magnesium? The Germans. <laughs> <laughs> the same people who made blimps out of hydrogen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they love their explosions. Come on. What could go wrong? It's no, okay, but engineer. Yeah, <laughs> the engineer not fine. to blow up, even though people think it should. The temperature runs very high, but this magnesium is okay. <laughs> We've got it within 10 degrees. What could go wrong? But like, just even like people walking with props, like you're saying, everyone comes up. Everyone realizes all the Tremere have sticks. Yeah. And so you get to physically see that instead mm -hmm. of some guy having a car. All the gangrel of claws, right? And you do. It it's even become like jokes, like people who aren't even like in vampire society. They're like, oh, we know Tremere because they have the sticks, right? And like, do you know Tremere? No, it's guys with sticks. <laughs> <laughs> and and it makes it a little different than the. All right, I've got a forty-four magnum in a shoulder holster, and that's where my card is, and I have to keep telling everyone. Yeah. Forsooth, you you see a bulge in my suit coat. Right. It, there, there's a vastly different feel than if I've got an airsoft gun mm -hmm. in a shoulder holster, and you can tell. 
tell what's what's that from across the room. Right. So it's easier to just play a gang role. You're just walking oh. around with your claws and your fangs, and everybody knows what you are, what you color, know, what you're in contact. You're like all over Wolverine out. Yeah, yeah, pretty much all the time. Like I actually put on airsoft armor underneath shirts for like I'm wearing a flak vest, so I feel the restraint. <laughs> You guys are all method actors. <laughs> We're not laughing at you. It's it is this whole LARP thing is so interesting to me because it didn't back in the day when I was doing this around college and stuff. It was sort of a, an offspring of FCA. There wasn't the word LARP. It was just sort of you know a stress release or whatever. I, they called it um, uh, living history, I guess, mm-hmm. or what was the side of creative anachronism? What did they, they had another name for it and such? But it somehow involved. Suddenly, rules got in, got in, and I don't know when that happened and such. But it, it well, became Steve, Steve Jackson with Assassin released Assassin. I was in high school when yeah, that came out. Yeah, me too. And we played that and got in a lot of trouble. Uh, yeah, me too. They, they, I think <laughs> they referred to that as a live action role playing. Uh huh. I, be, I believe that in the original rules, that's what it said. But that was um, that's the only only LARP I ever played. Do you guys know? I'm just I'm going to ask you because you, you represent all the LARPers I know. <laughs> and you speak with authority. Do you know when the rules set got dropped in, and when LARPing stopped being a bunch of hippies with swords bopping <laughs> on each other to an actual game? Okay. If if you, if you don't consider SCA LARPing because there is rules, there is there, I, there are now. Ex- well, well, I mean, well, okay, but, but even slowly, that's, yeah. that's more like sparring stuff. I yeah. mean, there's not. There's no game books released in editions and such. Well, maybe there I, are now. There, uh, okay, there but, okay but they have society. They have like this is a kingdom, and my kingdom represents these concepts. Yes, and these are my banners, and these right. are my and I have and these to, are the rules when you're right. in combat. You right. can't do this, can't blow exactly. this. If you do this, you're dead. <coughs> okay. There's and there's referees walking around going, "No, you're dead. No, you're dead. Oh, he's only wounded." Yeah, right. Okay, it's, at it's, certain times. Yes, when right. there, when there's right battles going on. Right. Yes. right. And then you have, like, let's say, Civil War recreationists, and they have different kind of rules of what they're allowed to do and what they're not right. allowed to do. But well, the Confederates you, always lose. <laughs> so on the battle. Well, <laughs> so if you take out like recreationist and you take out SCA, then you're getting very close to like the Steve Jackson, and you're getting close to where you begin to have the starting of LARP in like the in the in the early '90s, because almost as soon as Vampire came out. The second edition, there was a LARP book. And they even talk about LARP in the first edition. So White Wolf basically dropped a book that said, this is how you do this live. Yes. It wasn't a hack that people came out with. It no, was something it, at White Wolf. The, the original one was a a box that actually had plastic vampire fangs and a blood <laughs> packet. And it was uh, it was I two books, and the mechanic was just atrocious. Now, is and that the original vampire Book or is that a LARP product? They made a LARP product for the Vampire book before, right after Second Edition came out. Okay, and so, but first and Second Edition were only like two years. Right. So then, they realized people <coughs> actually enjoyed it, <coughs> and so then they made actually a book where the mechanic was solid, and then that mechanic no was, teeth, no teeth, just a book. Okay. Uh, then that mechanic was pretty much solid with a few revisions for about ten years until the, all the White Wolf then being sold to CCP, and then all that other bit. And then with the rise of Onyx Path and the rise of like all of that coming back into play, they've essentially created a new mechanic for the new era, essentially. Um, I was not aware that White Wolf did that. It almost sounds like a... I don't want to say a joke, but it almost sounds like a, a like an novelty <coughs> thing that they released. Like, uh, remember when Think Geek made their... Uh, it was their 
their April Fool's joke. They had a Jawa sleep or a, a Tauntaun sleeping bag. Yeah, then became, right. Right. And, and yeah. everybody said, no, man, this is an April Fool's joke. But they got so many orders mm-hmm. for it, they put it in production. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think because Vampire is also this major change in role playing where I'm not trying to beat something, I'm not trying to do that. It is the social complete connection. It is, I am a villain, I'm fighting against players. If I'm fighting against players, it's hard to do that at a table. How do we perpetuate the next point? And you really brought up the, the key point there, which is I think the LARP really focuses on social. It really brings that home because you're actually having to go have a conversation exactly. with somebody socially. Mm-hmm. It's not an abstraction where you're playing across a room from each other. Well, I say this and I say that and let's roll to see if I, if I influence them. At this point, you're actually having to have a conversation right. to a certain extent. And that, that's a different level. It takes you to a different level. Than most role playing games do, <coughs> right? Um, and like fourth edition D anD D, you could roll a skill check for diplomacy. You get a thirty two. Okay, that beats the DC. Poof! And I never had to say a word and right. get the information. And many games are played like that, right? right. Doing it as, as a LARP where it's like I, I, in my character is as Marcus. I'm trying to get you to tell me this information, and I suspect maybe you know, but I don't really know. So I'm going to drop a couple of hints here and there to see if you bite and respond with something, so that I can go, aha, you do know. Now, in cases like that, would I bring a referee over? It's like, I, I want to interrogate this person. Can you watch this and make sure <laughs> um, follow if, rules? If you had... Because um, otherwise it turns into his word against yours. I didn't say anything. Yeah, you did. No, you didn't. Yeah, you did. No, you didn't. Well, there, well, there can absolutely be an element of that. And, like, elders have certain social statuses where you, mm. have, to, you have to have social statuses to tell me that I'm lying. So if you're a neonate and I, I as an elder say, oh, you told me that you were going to give me a million dollars, then you says, no, I never said that. It's like, oh, I'm an elder. You just called me a liar. You now have negative status. Oh, that's a headache. Yeah, there are pieces like that. That's an oversimplification. But oh no, I get it. I get it. Now, now, in the game, are there player characters? Is there is there that broad of a disparity in generation? Yes, there is. Is that all just bought up? Like I'm going to buy a ton of generation. So the classic problem is if you buy a lot of generation, you're incredibly powerful in the status in the political game, but it's very expensive for you to buy powers and traits. If you're young, things are very easy and quick for you to buy, so you, they can send you off to go to the fight. Mm-hmm. Because you're like the servants and you're like that, but if you aren't socially powerful. Okay. Yeah. Did they actually have a piece? So you, you actually, you balance, it's balanced in such a way that if you, if you are a, a lower generation, mm-hmm. it costs more yes. to buy? Okay. Yeah. It's like uh, neonates, which are the guys that just have one dot gen in the current edition. Like background is only one XP per the dot level. So to buy level five um, background of influence, it only costs you uh, five XP for that level. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you are a you know an elder that's got five dots in gen, it costs you ten XP to buy that level. But you can buy you know maybe level six or a sixth or seventh dot Special that methods. neonates could never buy. Okay. So you can potentially get more powerful, but it's going to cost you more. And, and somewhere else, you're, you're paying for it. Yes. Okay. Yeah. There, there is a fair equality. There are some issues with every game system. Right. But there is a basic aspect. If you took a lot of points in generation, you're going to be socially more powerful than someone who didn't. Sure. Right. Yeah. And you have a bigger blood pool. If there is ever an issue, you can use your powers more often mm-hmm. because you're not the neonate that's rationing out his 10 points of blood over the whole night. You've right. got 30 or 40 to play around with over the course of four hours. You blow telepathy to your mind blows up. Right. Uh, and you're still be fine on blood. Okay. I was thinking about another early LARP was uh, Cthulhu. Had a very early LARP. Hmm. Really? Yeah. I heard there, there, was a, there was a Call of Cthulhu LARP somewhere. I don't know if it was this con or... 
Maybe it's going to be the there was one, one at this con. There was. <clears throat> See, I was there was gonna there was gonna be a one one oh one. So I don't know who was gonna run it um, at the last strategic con at mm-hmm. uh, Gateway, mm-hmm. and it, it fell through at the last minute. Uh, Cthulhu, yeah. Cthulhu would make a wonderful LARP in a hotel. I mean, it, it would basically be like those dinner murder mystery things, right? right? But you could go from room to room, and there'd be clues or scenes set up right, mm-hmm. that you would interact with, which would be really cool. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. this room, there's, you know, candlelight and whatever, and a dead body, and then this room, right. there's, you know, pentagram on the... I mean, it'd be neat. It'd be really neat. I, I think it'd also be great to do it at a house, and you have people who they don't know are playing be like the monsters at the woods. Oh yeah, and oh, then yeah. like, and just like you text them, okay, they're ready to walk out now, and then you oh, yeah. gotta do that. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fantastic. Check your weapons at the door, please. Okay, it looks like I forgot to put the last email. Oh, oh. so I'm gonna read it off my computer. Oh, okay, because I was distracted. Uh, hello again, ladies and gentle Ducherinos drink. I would like I, now. I wanted to follow up on my last email about leniency by answering some questions you had to ask. Observation of the game, a horror story. Uh, last time I was not able to add as much detail to my letter <coughs> as it was writing it on his phone. Um, after listening, I wanted to give the answers to some of uh, the ideas you threw out. I do not believe that I'm in Monty Hall GM. That's the other place I saw it spelled the, the other way. Um, <coughs> and have been known to to be a little stingy with loot. And almost always roll out in the open and instead of behind a screen. But I think you may hit upon the nail on the head <coughs> when you talked about player turned GM uh, may not have felt threatened or completely engaged in the fights uh, we have had as a group. He's playing a tanky paladin slash cleric with a high armor class and healing for days, whereas the rest of the group are lightly armored and squishy. Also, they have mostly fought more animalistic creatures, focused more on their own survival, <coughs> uh, rather than trying to defeat the players. So I suspect uh, that may be where his feelings are stemming from. Now for the gaming nightmare. It's been going on for a, a bit long, so go ahead and drink again. I, 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 it's not that long. I will refer. <coughs> you okay? Uh, yeah, but, uh, asthma. I don't have my inhaler on me. Uh, we have a friend who, despite running a terrible game, is still a friend. <laughs> good, that good must on have you. been a bad game. Good on you guys. Uh, though uh, we put a boycott on his DM. <laughs> Let's call him Phil. Also good on you guys. Phil offered to run a game for us, and I, being the primary GM of the group, happily took to the other uh, look. Took up the other to actually get to play. The first big problem was that we really didn't actually we didn't play any actual game. Phil used to run second edition D&D, but did not have the books and played from memory. <clears throat> the rest of us, having never played second edition, had no way of learning or referencing anything. Mm-hmm. Phil would just tell us how things worked. And usually there was no continuity between sessions. A lot of rules would change and he would get mad at us for doing something the way he told us to do it in the past. Eventually, Mm. I got a used rule book hoping it would add some stability, (laughs) but Phil mostly ignored it. Mm. Phil also had a very strict sense of how fantasy tropes should be played and would punish players for not following his ideas. It's wandering damage. <coughs> we got a, we had an email years ago about somebody that, won, that they won, quite literally wandered off of his his railroad tracks, but hit them with wandering damage. If you uh, oh no, you got uh, you take a point uh, one d six of damage. Well, no, I'm gonna you take another d six of damage. Okay, I will go back to the trail. All right. <laughs> 
wandering damage. Uh, and, and would punish players for not following his ideas. Thieves should steal everything that isn't nailed it down. Dwarves had to be gruff, greedy, hard-drinking elf haters, etc. Even docking... He doesn't hate elves. Uh, well, yeah. Even docking... Right? Even docking experience points when he felt our characters broke the mold too much. Ooh. Phil also had a oh. terrible tendency to play favorites with players. Some players would get great rewards and boons if he liked the player, while players he didn't like were often unfairly chastised. Your dwarf liked elves. Mm. I'm, I'm going to dock you for that. Yeah. While all of this was irritating, the first wake-up call that the first wake-up call Uh-oh. that led us to decide yes. that, that no game was better than bad gaming was when we found a treasure chest after an adventure. Phil rolled to see what kind of loot was in it, then let us try to open it. It was locked, and our thief was unable to pick it. So we were left to decide how to open it, and considering just breaking the chest, just a mundane wooden chest, Phil sternly told us that if we broke, broke it, some of the things inside would get destroyed, which was reasonable-ish. So we as a group, we spent some time trying to figure out what to do, <clears throat> asking him questions, searching, and the thief trying to get another chance at a lock pick, uh, uh, to pick the lock. Phil began to get flustered over all of this, and eventually yelled at us, that since we wouldn't make up our minds and it was taking too long, the chest was empty and we would get nothing. You get nothing, not a zilch! It's very Willy Wonka. Thanks for reading my emails. Keep up the podcast and sorry about the length of the email, Wes. P.S. The game ended on that note. Big shock. And yeah. we decided yeah. to take several month, a several-month-long break from gaming with Phil after that. Right, so you would kill him. Then we did try to pick it up back again with more disastrous results that I'll oh. save for another email. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to hear more about Phil. Wow. I like Doris. Like <laughs> this is actually in the same vein as the email I wrote to you guys a couple years ago that you mm-hmm. read. Um, yeah, it, it is painful when, especially it's a friend, you know, you like them. Yeah. Uh, but just for whatever reason, they, they game and it's their story, they're telling it, they're forcing you to play. Um, I, I, I've always tried to take much more of a. I, I'm giving you. I'm facilitating you guys walking through a story. Right. Um, and if you want to sandbox it and go over there today and go over there tomorrow, that that's all your call. And I I have the encounter over there or the encounter over there. Or you might walk that way, but you still get the encounter from over here because that's the one I actually prepped. You just get a different story with the mechanic. Exactly right. Uh, I I mean I remember your email intimately, but if you want to remind the, the <coughs> what what advice we gave you and, and how well it worked, um, it, it was. Uh, it, well, it was we read a, it nine months later after he'd sent it, so it was irrelevant by then. Yeah, uh, it, it was a case of we had a DM. Um, he he was the only DM in the group for a while. Uh, we find, and this was when I was just playing D anD D for the first time ever, like five six years ago. First really getting into it, um, and. He, he was super tactical with all of his monsters. They knew the perfect positions to always be in to get the optimal attacks. Uh, when players were doing things that were less than optimal in combat, he would start correcting them and saying, no, I no, actually you do need to remember this email. Here. I do remember it now. Um, all of it, yeah, because, of course, he, as a GM, he knew exactly what the terrain was and everything, and you guys were constantly outsmarted every time. Right. And, and it just became slog after slog after slog. Now, granted, that for he happened a lot that way. Um, and we we kind of took a we took a break. We had another guy come in. He wanted DM. He was very very story orientated as opposed to com- combat. I started running a campaign. Uh, that D- the D- bad DM uh, played in a couple of those other ones. Uh, we we really felt that he he began to to learn it, take a feel for it. When Five E came out, he wanted to run. He wanted to start a Five E campaign. We're like, hey, great, we'll give you another shot. Um, 
the second game, I try to uh, yeah. maneuver and, and get a little information and run a couple of the dice games. He says, all right, the, the bad guys figure out what you're doing. They beat you oh. up, take all your stuff. And I, all, and he said, all your stuff. So armor, sword, cash, the town we just looted a while back. All of the money was gone. <laughs> um, and I didn't get a roll. I didn't get a, oh, you, insight to see if maybe they're catching on and you got to get out of there. Nothing. Uh, and uh, he almost he almost broke the group the first time. Yeah. And the second time it's like, all right, we're, we're just we're never going to play You're with you. Bye. Yeah. Uh, but we tried the conversations. We tried to work with them. It, it, it's a problem. It sounds like it. it sounds like. Um, it. And, and I believe the advice you guys gave is uh, sometimes you have to put on your big boy pants and have, and a, have a conversation. And, and it didn't work. If they if they don't like the conversation, now it, it sounds like they had a conversation. They um, they they took a few months off. They came back. They tried to give them another shot. Um, that's all well and good. If if they fail the second or third time around, they're still doing the same things. It means they haven't learned. It's they they don't have a good group mentality. It's an intrinsic character flaw. At that point, they cannot run games without being selfish douchebags. There's they, they shouldn't really GM. And if they do GM, they need to GM for other <coughs> selfish douchebags. I mean, uh, I've run into min maxers before, and they and they like to play min maxing games, and they hang out with other, other min maxers, and they have a great time together doing that. They just have to find like minded people that like that kind of thing. But it's hard. Well, so there needs to be a contract between the storyteller and the player of. Is this going to be a sense of victory or is this going to be a sense of defeat? There are plenty of games where you should not necessarily have a consistent aspect. You're winning well. Right. I don't sign contracts when I start a game. I, it's sometimes you just it takes a long time to figure out. Uh, yeah, oftentimes you're about I don't know a month, two months in, six sessions <coughs> in before you go. This guy's an asshole. Holy shit! What do I do now? How do I get out of this? Mm-hmm. Or I don't like these other players. You know, it, you don't. Oftentimes you don't realize what you're in for until it's too late. And right. it's always nice to say, well, there should be social contact, but that, yeah. at that point, you're like, uh, they don't know. I didn't know. Uh-oh. And, and there does come a point, like, they, they made it in the email, or they stated in the email. Uh, sometimes you reach a point where no game is better than a uh, bad game. Right. right. And if you end up not liking the players, and, and the DM's a, a douchebag, sometimes you just say, hey, guys, I, I've uh, enjoyed meeting you. Um, I'm right. going to I'm going to take my dice and go somewhere else. I don't want to ruin the game for everyone else. <laughs> yes, right. I'm, I'm, I'm not taking everybody's dice. I'm just taking my you know, dice. I'm, my I'm wife's going to have there. a baby. I need to I need to be home yeah. more often. Yeah, whatever. And and do the take the take the high road. Yeah, I it's but, <laughs> Kimmy's rule one, which is don't game with assholes. But I think you can be more broadly generated. It's just don't play with bad gamers or don't play in a game you don't like. I mean, yeah. I, unless you're stuck in northern Nebraska and that's the only game you can find within 150 miles of where you live. But even then, I mean, is it worth it? So online options. I'll, I'll kind of expand that though. Like in a group of fifty people, not everyone's going to be good. Yes. So there has to be a greater, greater sense of leniency. Of I know that not every player is going to be excellent at role playing and never metagaming and understanding their rules and caring about other people's feelings. Right. But okay, finish. But. As long as there is a certain kind of social contract that people realize that the staff are not directly trying to ruin you, that they are, yes, you are not going to succeed all the time, but we are trying to make you have a pleasant experience, and that there can be communication, it works. But if you go, I had a bad experience with that person, that person made me feel terrible, if you don't see it as the entire event, because especially at a LARP, everyone's saying their own story. It's not, there's not a staffer standing there every single time right, right. saying this is what's occurring. 
And even still, a, a staffer at that moment with 50 things in their head while they're going through all that stuff, they might make a mistake. And in that mistake, you, they might think it was against them mm-hmm. as a person instead of, you know what, uh, I haven't seen Animalism 4 in like two years. I'm sorry I ran Animalism 4 wrong. Right. And it it's very hard to keep... Like you keep some of the people happy all the time, right? <laughs> but you can't keep everybody happy all the time. And when you're at a player in a group of fifty, and there's mm-hmm. a person you don't like, you can just uh, avoid them a little bit because there are forty nine other people. Or if you're one of the fifty, sure. there's forty eight other people right. that you can play with and role play with. Um, so it's just a hey, I, I'm not interested in role playing with that particular person. You can go off and you can still have RP with everyone else. And I can see in a LARP the beauty of that because. Uh, when you're at a tabletop game, uh, I've been I've been this guy. I've been a story-driven guy. I wanted to explore backstories. I want to explore my character. And other people are like, they just want to kill stuff and move on. And that that their fun in the game is min-maxing, getting experience, and and making their character optimizing their character. And my fun in the story is exploring backstories and and working out the tensions between the group. And they their fun and my fun don't match up. Right. They're like, stop stop talking to my experience points. So I want to kill it so I can get level up, <laughs> right? And in a LARP with fifty mm-hmm. people, they're like, "Ah, I see. You want to? Okay, I'm going to go over here and talk to these guys because we have a much more." And, and so you can you can separate off the people can can self. Um, I don't know. I almost said self medicate, but they can self um, optimize. They can self. They can find the groups and they continue on the stories with the people they want to play with. That's not always the case in a tabletop game where you're stuck at a table and you may realize too late that the players you're playing with have completely different values than what you want. Their fun is different than your fun. So, but like, here's a great example with the staff. You can't necessarily avoid the staff. No. And I think of the three people, every single one of us has different perspectives of what we're trying to yes. portray. Yeah. And it, it becomes kind of, a, 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 some people might feel they're picked on by a certain staffer who really wants to tell a certain story to that person. And they have to get the communication from the person that, no, I don't want to go down that angle. I want to do something different. Right. And you have to kind of maintain that level of communication. And if you're at a table just with four people, if they can't be able to tell the storyteller, this is kind of what I'm looking for in a game, Can are, are we going to this angle or do I do find something else to do? Mm-hmm. There has to be communication more than just, let's roll dice and here's the story. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Or at least... The way I usually play is the GM is to pick up these clues because a lot of people aren't going to stop the game and go, I'm not having fun because my character isn't being min max enough. But that's a conversation I don't think I've ever heard happen, at least at the table. <laughs> right, but, but when you but pitch you the game. You might get emails after the right. game. I'm not having fun. This guy's picking <clears throat> on me. Or uh, why, are we, why are we spending so much time talking? We need to do more combat or stuff like that. Right, but okay, like when you're pitching, let's say, we're going to play a traveler's game, and you're saying, whatever we're kind of having, the kind of grain, main goals, we're going to be acquiring stuff, and we're going to be going against this type of thing, they're getting the picture of what they're expecting. Yeah. If you're running a D&D game, you're like, oh, well, we're going to play this module, and we're going to fight these guys, we're going to try to get to the end of it and survive. They have a concept of where they're going. That pitch is your, your contract. You're handing it out to them. You're saying, this is what we're playing. Very rarely do people walk into the room and you're like, "Here's your sheet. Have a good time." That's like a con moment. No, that's no, that's the way we play. That's the way uh, you we play. we roll up with characters. Like Stu said, roll up your vampire characters. I have no idea what I barely played. Because I'm not, I don't no know idea. what kind of game I was going to run until I saw what kind of characters got made. Right. Okay, but you saw the characters. I, I had like a very kind of vague idea for a story. Right, but you'd be like, okay, I, it's going to be kind of a social construct kind of thing. No, versus a monster kind of Those thing. words never came out of his mouth. No, never. Well, told we, us. It's first vampire, first white wolf title. 
I'd ever run. L five R same like, thing. I don't, we'll see. We, he never once explained to us what type well, of characters or what type of game we were playing. Well, we, I made the characters for L five R because it was only going to be a one mm-hmm. shot. Because mm-hmm. I made pre gens for him and I said I have a little adventure. Here's the pre gens. So run it. That game ran for I don't know. So we as players make these incredible decisions. Stu has some ideas and he throws it at us, and all of a sudden this game evolves and Stu's adapting to what we're doing. It's a feedback loop. But never once do you tell us what your end. That's not true. In Bloodblade and Tusk, you guys knew what 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 the the gist of the adventure was. It's kind of dark medieval fantasy. There's the Catholic Church because basically what what happens is sometime around 1000 AD. <clears throat> Orcs just show up in France and take over France. <laughs> so the Crusades never happened. Um, the Norman invasion, Normandy invasion, mm-hmm. never happens. None of that stuff. Um, and, and there is an Inquisition. Orcs brought magic when they showed up. There had already been secret magic societies mm-hmm. amongst humans before. The Druids. The Druids. Nobody um, knows, <laughs> right? Who they were, but. Um, but yeah, and, and I said, you know, this is kind of going to be kind of a grim game. It's it, it, it's this is going to try to say it's giving a huge what if to the history, but it, it's going to try to be true to that what might have happened in that sort of a situation. So there's a lot of religious aspects to it, mm-hmm. uh, and there's a lot of sort of bigotry aspects to it with regards to the orcs because they're here, and the, the official church doctrine says that they're they're demons walking amongst us. So, like, right off the bat, there's all kinds of tension and stuff. But that's different than the story. You've given me background. You yeah, but like, me, but you, themes. But yeah, yeah, you know theme. It's just like Vampire. You know it is it is a social jihad kind of concept game. You know you're not just going to be running around killing people all day well, long. Well, no, because there's two ways to play Vampire. You can play it as Underworld, or you can, you can play, play it as... You can as, play superheroes who drink blood. Right. 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 And, and both are valid, and both are, are according to the rule set, but it really depends on the type of game you want to play. I mean... And and sometimes those two players end up in the same game together, right? <laughs> and and it, it's certainly one place in a, a LERP when you're you're running fifty odd people. You've got to have themes, and people have to know what's going. What sure. they're walking into it. Uh, at a, at a tabletop, I feel uh, especially like a D and D game. Uh, a, a truly great DM can look at oh my, I have five players that want the hack and slash that want to just be blenders that walk into the room, and I got one guy that wants to talk about everything. And I'm going to pay extra attention to that guy so they get story, and I'm going to throw crazy monsters at these other guys. Right. And you try and to balance it so that everyone's going to have a good time. Right. And, and, and the great D- <coughs> the great DMs are, are listening to what, what the players want, and they, they have their idea. The players are putting out ideas, and they're having a conversation. Yeah. And a great DM can do that. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the great DM has to be able to do that. Yeah. You have to wear a lot of different hats. Mm-hmm. Um, Vampire and with L5R and a couple, it's also clan oriented too. You know, with L5R you have if you have a a scorpion show up, or in Vampire if you have a gangrel show up, their skill set is really based around a couple of things. They're not really great negotiators or great talkers. They're really only good at a couple of things, and that's mostly killing stuff and apologizing <laughs> later if they can get an apology. And they don't even get along with each other. So you could you could you, you can could build a social game. You, you absolutely you can. you can, but they're not all. They're not really that way. If you read oh. the books, they're you know. But yes, you can. You can like, tweak them. One of their basic game clans is all social roles. Yes. <laughs> but same with L five R. You can make a yeah. social uh, scorpion. You can you can make uh, you know they're undercovers. Uh, you can it's spies. Well, everyone can, they're always in L five R. Every every clan has a social aspect. Yeah, they're just the approach to it is just different. So it, it's 
uh, as a GM, I don't know, as Stu's had this problem, uh, he's got two gangrels, a Ventru, and a Toreador. Toreador. And he has to, well, there's, there is the Toreador, but there's also a Toreador. And they have <laughs> to all try to get along, right? And everybody's at cross purposes because the gangrel doesn't want to do anything. He just wants to be left alone. The Ventru wants to take over everything. The Toreador is, just wants to make shiny stuff. And well, see, my question is, do they have to get along? Well, no. Well, okay, there, and there, there we, we throw it back to you guys. What do you do when they don't all get along because they're just playing their character? But that's vampire. The, the, the question then... <laughs> don't play vampire. The question then I feel is, is it the characters not getting along or the players not getting along? It's the characters. Sure. If it's the characters, that can lead to a lot of fun games. And if, and if the players are enjoying the fact that they get to petty bicker about this person behind their back, that's great. That's a good game. If it's the players not getting along, e- even if you're the you're all Toreadors and you're going to art museums every game, <laughs> and and you and all of your Toreadors love each other, um, if the players don't like each other, you're still going to have a bad game. That's true, right? Like I I've ran games where everyone's completely diversely different clans. You can do everything from it's an Archon campaign where you're all being ordered by just to try to go yeah. solve some missions. If you're in an individual city, you can just make a, a player versus environment issue. Mm. You're like, okay, well, the, uh, your Tordor stuff is being attacked by a group of... Uh, uh, city gangrels. C- yeah. City gangrels. There's Sabat aggressing yeah. against it. You have to make deals with the other players at the table to help defend your land. What do you do? And everyone, especially in Vampire, everyone is kind of, like you said, locked down in their skill choice. Mm-hmm. You can make an opponent that only certain players can succeed at mm-hmm. and have them attack those who can't. And, and that's, a, that's a luxury. I think with LARPs that's really neat because within tabletop everybody has to be involved it's like you know well I'm going to make a real fighty thing for the gangrel but everybody else is going to be completely outclassed you know or I'm going to make a real social character and, and then the gangrel walks up and kills them right? so, uh, or whatever okay. I am mean, the classic I mean. problem actually with vampire in that scenario is socials overpowered yes it's can't, well yeah there's going to be a combat order people to walk I'm a tortor I entrance <laughs> the bad guys and have him right. walk through fire yeah. <laughs> have him tell me what everything he knows yeah. like there was a whole conversation in one of the videos we were having him just going through every discipline where like dominate's the most powerful discipline because it's the only discipline sure takes away is. agency right and you could be the greatest combat person on earth, and you can kill a guy in two turns, but I can have that guy kill you. Mm-hmm. He, all he has to do is say, stop. Yeah. <laughs> and Go out in the sun. So, uh, Vampire is, is best when it is either players against each other at a larger session, or players against environment. Because you got to get everyone on the same page. Yeah, right. well, and therein lies, you got to get everybody on the same page. And I, I guess there's a lot of different ways to get there. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys for coming in. I yeah, thank you. Right. Uh, Had a lot of fun. Check it, check it. Oh, someone wanted some soundboard. Hold on. Why Holy. problem make when you no problem have, you don't want to make? That's a quote from Trollhunter. <laughs> and if you guys haven't seen Trollhunter, the, uh, it's a Norwegian. I have seen Everybody needs to watch Trollhunter. It's, it's fantastic. I've seen Put it on your Netflix. You can watch it on Netflix. It's yes. fantastic. It is not what you think. That's no, very good. You I hear the word Trollhunter, you think... Yeah. It's it's awesome. It's yeah. one of my favorite movies. I, j- I just started. I got Showtime on, through Hulu, mm-hmm. and I just started. I, I watched the most recent season of Homeland, mm-hmm. which is I, I love that show. Yeah, Color Day. Mandy loved it. Do you know it was Obama's favorite show? Huh? It was Obama's favorite? Was it really? Show? Yeah. <laughs> but the the uh, I just started watching a show called I'm Dying Up Here. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh my comedian. god, that's awesome. Yeah, it's the best thing I've seen since like. Glow. Did you see Glow on Netflix? I did see Glow. Oh, 
billions on Showtime. So haven't watched good. it yet. Yeah, it's okay. particularly good for vampire games because it oh, actually really? it shows you the nature of someone with resources vibe and someone with influence vibe fighting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and one guy that doesn't have a lot of money, but he's right. the uh, a federal DA for the entire like um, New York. Okay. And then the other guy is a hedge fund manager, and it's them having conflicts and fighting which each other. Which one plays which? Um, uh, Paul Giamatti plays the attorney. Okay. All right. It's awesome. Awesome. All right. I'm going to call it. Okay. Cool. Go. Play. There we go. Yes. Well, Yes, it is the Soviet National Anthem. Thank you for joining us for Season 20, Episode 5 of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. My name is Patrick. My name is, Ma- My name is Michael, if I can say that. And thank you guys for coming out. I appreciate it. And tons of fun. And we'll see you, of course, at uh, Orcon 2018. Yes. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Now with 50% more orcs. We're, if we, yes. Uh, February 16th, 17th, 19th. Tomorrow or Sunday, we're playing Vampire Masquerade Modicin 4 p.m. streaming live here. And then on Monday, is it Blood Blade and Tusk? I believe it is. Blood Blade and Tusk right? on Mondays. Move to Mondays 8 to 10. Adjust your calendars or check ours out. That's it. Thank you very much. Oh, Dead Rain starts next Sunday. Dead Rain is what? Dead Rain is the zombie survival game sponsored by Palladium Books. Run by whom? Uh, me and Dave. Excellent. Yes. Thank you very much. We'll move the song. I'd rather have longer than life. I'll take a strong stout over stride. I'd prefer to confer with a half pint of ale than live a long life till my private parts fail. For life without liquor is to no avail. So bring me longer for life. I'd rather have whiskey than wealth. For riches bring thieves of great stealth. The wealthy drink wine and unpleasant they die. But give me a keg and a fine turkey leg, and I'll eat, drink, and toast to your health. I'd rather have lager than wine. I'll take a strong stout over strife. I'd prefer to confer with a half pint of ale than live a long life till my private parts fail. For life without liquor is to no avail. So bring me lager for
till my private parts fail For life without liquor is to no avail So bring me lager for life I'd rather have lager than life I'll take a strong stout over strife The preceding program has been a presentation of the Angry Folk Media Empire. Mom, Mom.